Howdy, howdy do, Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 330. Yeah. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Our lives are different to anybody else's. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow, so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. You may be a doctor, but I'm the doctor. The definite article, you might say. The trouble with time travel is, one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. For now, for this moment, I am the doctor again. The ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. And the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect. But actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective view, more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I'm the doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years, and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes, and it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage, and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the Doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, 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 Doctor Who fans. Welcome back to another week. It's a big week, this one. Exciting times. Exciting, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor Who back on the TV, back on the telly box. Mm. Right? <laughs> yes. Back on the telly box. It's good, isn't it? It is good to have Doctor Who back on the TV. Oh, nice it's sweet. Yeah. yeah. It was really good as well. Twitter was all nice and friendly for the most part. And yeah. No fighting. There was no, uh, there was no, uh, no toxicity, which is really good. There was a little bit, but you'd expect out of anything. But for the most part, like nowhere near like we experienced in previous Doctor Who seasons. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a little bit make or break, actually, really. I think because there's so many people that are just on the edge of just giving up. They're not, you know, the, the ones that are not enjoying this era. And like you said, you'd think, oh, after this first episode, that I think even those that sort of aren't enjoying it will tune into the first one just to, out of curiosity, if nothing else. Uh, I know one person, I'm not going to mention his name, but we both know them, that was uh, adamant he wasn't going to watch it. I'm not watching this series. And uh, messaged me afterwards and was like, I actually didn't enjoy it. It's like, what the hell? Uh, what a load of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, I knew you'd, I knew you'd tune in. Um, but, um, the, but I did see quite a few people that, you know, uh, don't like this era, but but enjoyed this episode. So there did seem to be a bit of a swing, yeah. you yeah. know, in that, in that direction, which, uh, as I said, that's what I mean by make or break. I think there are quite a few people like that that were like, I'm going to tune in, but I know it's going to be rubbish. <laughs> and then we're like... Hmm. Actually, hmm. Not sure. Think I quite liked that. And so you know, that was that was nice to see. Uh, most of the stuff I saw on Twitter, 
which of course is the you know the go-to bible after for any tv review uh is uh most of the stuff i saw was quite positive um yeah, it was yeah there were still some negativity but yeah but it'd be interesting to see if we're on the same page on this one will we yes. be will we be wearing our positive t-shirts or will it be negative negative ninny t-shirts we'll see will it be a disaster of epic <laughs> proportions who knows yeah, yeah. we'll get to that yeah so yeah it's good to have uh, doctor who back on the box it's a very cool time of year i love it when doctor who's on I do, yeah. Yeah, it's very cool, for obvious reasons. So we've got a cool episode this week for you. We've got a few bits of news to talk through, which is going to be good. And then we're going to just crash straight. We're not going to uh, waffle on for too long. We're going to crash straight into our review. Because mm. I assume for most of you, that's why you are here. Of course. So until we crack on, until, before we crack on with all that stuff, please remember to follow and subscribe our show to our show, whatever podcast app you get your podcast on. Just do a search for The Big Blue Box. Or head over to our website, www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to all the episodes on there for free. And you can link off to those various um, podcast apps and networks and whatnot. We're on all of those. So if this is your first time checking out the podcast, we often have this when there's a new series of Doctor Who. Mm. We often have a, an influx of, of new listeners for uh, for the reason of, you know, they might be the first time they've watched the show or they've come back to the show after years and now they want to... Want to uh, want to see what fandom's talking about and so on. So we often have a bunch of new listeners. So if you are new, then we are waving to you from behind our microphones. So welcome to the Big Blue Box. And of course, if you're coming back as a long-time listener, was one of the grizzled ancients, then absolutely, it's great to have you back mm. uh, as always. Uh, also on the website, you can read our reviews and, uh, and articles from our awesome writing team. We had a new one that dropped yesterday from Harry uh, in defense of the episode Midnight and a bit of... Uh, a bit of a drill down into some of the Russell T. Davis storytelling stuff on that particular episode, which is very good. And we're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook links on the website. Come and check out uh, some of the Doctor Who chat throughout the week and little tidbits of info and whatnot. And we have a free Discord server. Uh, it takes uh, 30 seconds to sign up and jump in. Come and chat lots of Doctor Who with other Doctor Who fans. And lastly, before we crack on, remember to check out my co-host channel, over on YouTube, it is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, yes. I'm just working on a mega video at the moment. Mega. <laughs> I say mega as in it's, it's taken me forever, as they always do. But yes, loads of videos on my channel, uh, mostly Doctor Who related. Go and check them out. Go and check them out. Check them out, man. Right. Uh, no waffle this week. Adam and I have been fairly quiet on, yeah. on that front, so we're going to bang straight into the news. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do that. So first, very quick one. I know everybody's very concerned and always going on about viewing figures and all that stuff. Yeah. So let's let's get it out of the way. So the Halloween Apocalypse <sighs> episode one. We haven't got the uh, what's the what's the phrase? Is it unified or confirmed figures? Con when consolidated. They, consolidated. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Where they take into account all of the um, uh, figures for the for the week and um, all of the um, catch up figures and all that you know iPlayer stuff and. And all that. So the overnights initially uh, came in at uh, a fairly respectable 4.43 mil, which is pretty good. Um, they did say that it's slightly down on the last season's opening figure, which was Skyfall. 
However, it is higher than the majority of series 12 episodes. So this typically happens with the first episode of a new series. It always is a tad bit higher. It tapers off a little bit. So we'll see how it goes throughout the series, but pretty respectable so far to um to kick off. And then we have the appreciation index, the AI score, which is... Um, there's been a bit of confusion on Twitter, actually, over this stuff, uh, which I saw uh, a couple of days ago where people were looking at this number and confusing it with the you know something else so the the ai the appreciation index is nothing to do with how many people have watched the show this is just where the people who have watched it and then they uh they give it a score uh which is out of 100 so the score for this one is 76 um which is not too bad so it's a measure of how much the audience enjoyed it basically rather than how many people viewed it so uh like i said it's out of 100 and um uh, what they do is they have what's called if anyone's into analytical stuff uh, they have something called a control group where they basically round up uh, 5000 people and then they go online and they give their thoughts and stuff like that so the the control group of people is random people it's not just doctor who fans that are going to say yes i liked it or yes i hated it it's just uh you know general general public of 5000 peeps who have seen it so going back then uh, to the last series uh, skyfall Skyfall Part 1, uh, that had an AI score of 82. Mm. Whereas the most recent one before this series, which was the New Year festive special, Revolution of the Daleks, that had an AI score of 79. Uh, the average score across Jodie's era is 80. So that's just an indication of how to measure this. So this one's got 76. So it feels like it's a tad bit lower than the average and the last couple of episode ones from her last series. But still, not a bad score, though. That's not too bad. Well, it, yes. Yes and no. <laughs> 76. To me, it doesn't sound that bad, but apparently it's the lowest this, uh, any episode has achieved uh, since Love of Monsters. So it's, it is low in comparison to others. But yeah, to me, 76 sounds all right. I always wondered how they actually did get these scores like who do they round up you know to to vote for these but yeah it's it to me it's reasonable i think 4.3 mils quite reasonable as well um i i was watching this with a couple of mates uh, on sunday and um we were trying to we were all guessing what the overnights would be and i i almost predicted this exactly i was a bit smug the next day i was like that's, that's almost exactly what i said i was like four and a half million five at the most and so yeah um it's kind of where I expected it to be because of, you know, the way the figures have been over the last couple of series. Uh, I think to put it into perspective, I think it was still, although 4.3 sounds a little bit low in general, I think that was still the second most watched uh, program of the day. I think it was only beaten by Strictly. I think I'm right in saying that. I think um, so, yeah. Yeah, so although 4 million sounds a little bit low, I think when you compare it to the other you know, overnights for other programs on the day. I think it's actually, it's up there right near the top. So yeah, yeah oh. it's pretty good. I mean, we'll expect to drop off next week. Like you said, the first step always gets a bit of a, a boost and then drops off a little, doesn't it? So just hopefully not too much. Yes, indeedy. And um, yeah, although it was absolutely awesome and amazing as always, watching the last 10 minutes of Country File and screaming oh. at the TV like, <laughs> were you just... Bloody we put were, the fish we were back. as well. We were like, oh, living country file. We, oh, get off. Yeah. I was like, put it that always bloody, overruns. Put the bloody fish back in the sea. Eat what you've got on your plate and just freaking hurry up. 
So yeah, uh, get on your tractor and get off. <laughs> country file, surprisingly, actually, that's unfair. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, the people of country file. I shouldn't have used that <laughs> word. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, country file normally gets a really good viewing um, figures. I imagine us Doctor Who fans are helping them a little bit in the last. Yeah. You know, they just put that channel on before BBC, uh, before Doctor Who starts, so everyone's on BBC One anyway. <laughs> so I think we're helping them out a little bit, but yeah, um, and also w- w- these things will change slightly when we get the consolidated figures. So they normally come out uh, normally on a Thursday, Thursday or Friday, and then we normally talk about it the week after and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, it's not done amazingly. It's not done terribly. Not too bad. Um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I think respectable. Respect. I'm going to say it's respectable. Respect. I think. Yeah. Uh, in in other news, uh, we have got uh, the title and a small synopsis for chapter th- chapter three. See, it feels weird to say that chapter three. Um, so it's going to be called. I've got to get this right. Once upon time. No, there's no aim, isn't it? Once upon time, which of course immediately makes you think of once upon a time, the Capaldi episode. But no, once upon time, and the synopsis is time is. Uh, Time is beginning to run wild on a planet that shouldn't exist. The aftermath of Apocalypse, the Doctor, Dan, Yaz and Vinda face a battle to survive. Which doesn't really tell us a lot, but but there you go. That's the synopsis. And yeah, obviously part three. So we should be sort of getting right into the thick of the story by by then. So we'll be halfway through. But uh, yeah, what do you think? It's a strange title, isn't it? Once Upon Time. Obviously yeah, a play on yeah. Once Upon a Time. What, what's going on there? Yeah, it does sound quite intriguing. I think the omission of A, so and then that comma. So it's like Once Upon Time suggests that time is a thing. It's going to be mm. something obviously quite uh, integral to the plot of that episode. So that sounds cool. It's, yeah, something. it's going to be a timey-wimey thing, obviously. And, uh, and the flux are going to play a big part as they... Uh, because the the synopsis is time is beginning to run wild, so I think something to do with the flux or either uh, the characters swarm. I think they're going to start messing with time streams and the doctors, whatever. So it's mm. very intriguing, yeah. And obviously the character Vinda, who we saw briefly in a few scenes in the first episode, is going to play a bigger part now, uh, clearly in this one. So mm. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. it sounds uh, it does sound intriguing, but not giving much away as usual. <laughs> no, not really. Planet that shouldn't exist. I mean, that sounds intriguing, but yeah, could could be anything. Hmm. 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 Yes. So there we go. That's chapter three, which is coming up uh, next week. Uh, and the last bit of news we have, this is a little follow on from the news that's been around for a few weeks now of Russell uh, coming back and uh, uh, taking over as showrunner after Jodie and Chibbers have been ejected from the building. And it's kind of a, the news, it's not in itself, it's just normal stuff that TV production companies and studios and everything, they kind of go through, but nobody sort of really knows about it. It's a sort of behind the scenes thing. It's a financial thing. And it's kind of surprising to me that uh, this has happened in the first place. And it's a sign really that BBC studios and probably the larger, the larger uh, execs and stuff at the BBC proper are are taking Doctor Who seriously. So as part of uh, Russell coming over to come back as showrunner, one of his stipulations, apparently, when he was coming up with uh, sort of ironing out the finer details, I suppose, was that all of the production side of things uh, is taken away from 
BBC Wales, who you know, so BBC Studios they've handled um, all of the production side of things for the for the series since two thousand and five. Russell has said basically that everything now, all of the control, production control, now goes over to the company Bad Wolf, which is, you know, the production company we spoke about a few weeks ago when Mm -hmm. the news landed. It's the company that was set up by um, Julie Gardner and Jane Tranter, who were producers on the original series of Who back in 2005. So they've set up this new production company, Bad Wolf, um, I think it was about two years ago now. Yeah, so Russell basically said, look, you know, as part of this, I want everything to be in control of this external company, Bad Wolf. So what that means financially for BBC Studios or the BBC, etc., is that they could lose, um, and this figure's not final, but they could lose around £40 million in Mm. commercial revenue for every 10 episodes that go out of Doctor Who. Blimey. Now, when I first read that, I thought, wow, that's a big chunk because they obviously rely on Doctor Who for, you know, uh, for that for that revenue. They rely on that heavily. So that says two things to me. <laughs> the first one I thought was, well, there's probably another contract down the road where somebody's going to sign a bit of paper to say, actually, that forty million, Bad Wolf, you're not having all of it. We'll come to an agreement that you'll have this portion. We'll have that portion, probably. And then the other thought I had was that this is actually a step in a, a good step in the direction of giving who the production not to say that the the production values or anything are poor now but it it basically says to me that the bbc is willing to to lose money um in order to give doctor who the decent revamp i suppose uh restructure redo whatever that it Mm -hmm. deserves because they could have just done they could have just done it in exactly the same way that they've always done it where they just keep production in the same place the same team and there is some merit to doing that, but you know, if you want uh, the, the the show to move on and and change, um, in exactly as you know the spirit of Doctor Who in terms of regeneration and stuff like that, then you've got to take risks and you've got to you know give it to different people and and stuff like that. So to me, dude, this is a this is a, a good step forward, um, and I think Russell knows what he's doing as well. I think he's written enough. I think he's written and produced and overseen enough top quality tv sh- uh, programs over the last decade to know what he's doing and and bad wolf seems like a decent company so yeah it's all good yeah i think yeah it's a good point i think because we feel like it's it's going into safe hands i think um because we know from the the previous work from all of these guys uh, you know that the, the quality is there um so this is very much by the sounds of it becoming russell's baby again isn't it he's really sort of taking taking control of this and i i like that as i said i think because we know russell it's quite reassuring in a way i think if we didn't if this was just um you know if we didn't know anything about this company if it was just announced that it was going over to you know um big burger companies or something you know something that we'd never heard of we'd be a bit worried like uh oh what are they going to do to our show but yeah because we already know uh, previous work of these guys, I think it's quite comforting. I think, you know, I, I just, I never, never want to, you know, don't, don't just relax and think everything's going to be fine. We you know that, but I think we, we should feel it's, uh, it's in safe hands. It does sound promising. I must admit the budget and everything as well. And it feels like the right time. I mean, the BBC has changed so much over the years, um, last few years in particular. Um, so it, it feels like it's the right time for somebody to have a little bit more, 
input and not to take it away from them, but, you know, perhaps like you said, for to move it in a different direction, I think it feels like the right thing to do. So, yeah, it's quite exciting. And technology is moving on so fast, isn't it? I mean, special effects now, like TV shows, are almost up to cinema standard, uh, some mm, of them. Yeah. And I think I'd like to think that by the time that this series goes into production, series 14 or whatever, or the specials, I'd like to think, you know, the the effects and everything will be of a really high standard. They're already pretty good, but, yeah, I'd like to think we'll be blown away by some of it. Yeah, and I think yeah. it also gives... Um, I'm not speaking for Russell, obviously, but I think from his point of view, it gives him the stability and of maybe the comfort in knowing that because he's worked with Bad Wolf and Julie and stuff before in the past, he can relax a little bit on the production side. Like, yep, yeah, I know those guys will handle it. Mm. All good. I can concentrate on doing what I do best, which is the writing side of things. So this could be, all, it- yeah, it could be a perfect storm, even though the BBC might lose <laughs> out financially. Like I said, it shows that they're willing to, to take a bit of the cut on that and just get Doctor Who rocking back to as good as it can be, I suppose. And am I right in thinking then, does that mean that Russell's kind of got creative control over it? So the BBC can't interfere and be like, no, 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 we needed this, we want that. And uh, am I right in saying that? Or For or the most it... part, yeah. I yeah, mean, there will yeah. still be, so there will still be executives at the BBC. So this is kind of weird because um, Doctor Who is run by BBC Studios, which is an, a kind of an independent subsidiary of BBC anyway um so the the program doctor who is not funded by the license payer mm. or anything like that so they kind of have their own entity anyway but there will be some executives at the bbc like you know you have like like head of drama you know head of programming you know head of all that sort of thing they will yeah. still have the final say right but it will be more of a um, you know, we need to make sure that the program adheres to our broadcasting rules and our tone of voice for drama and, you know, making sure it fits within the BBC's, um, you know, content specifications and stuff like that. So, yeah. but yeah, you are right. So for the most part now, Russell will have more control between him and the dudes at Bad Wolf. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, like he's not going to... Yeah, you can't have like loads of swearing in it and suddenly have loads of sex scenes and things. Yeah, so you can't just do whatever he wants. No, but no. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got to keep it within the brief, I guess. But he's got a lot of control over it, basically. It's his, yeah, it's his thing. Yeah. 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 So I imagine when Chibbers is writing stuff, there'll be like a big meeting at the BBC where he goes through it and, mm. and, uh, and they will sign off on, you know, making sure everything's, like I said, falls within their remit and stuff. Whereas when Russell takes over with Bad Wolf and stuff, that stuff won't happen as often, I wouldn't have thought. It will just mm. be somebody from the BBC will go over to Cardiff and have a look and be like, yeah, yeah, this is all good, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's exciting times though, but we're not going to overshadow, we're not going to let that overshadow um, the uh, Series 13 stuff and all of next year that we have to look forward to. Mm. the rest of Jody's stuff and, and Chibber's. So let's stick a pin in the excitement on that stuff at the minute. But it is a good sign, I think. Yeah, yeah. yes. Because I think we've said on the show quite a few times that it would be great if the BBC just um, relinquished their control and gave it to somebody like Netflix. Or So this is kind of a step towards that, but it's still being with... I don't think the BBC would ever get rid of it, but it's kind of like a halfway house 
where they give the creative reins over to an external company, but they still hold the, you know, BBC is still ours. It's our baby thing. It sounds like to me, I see it as the best of both worlds, really. Yes. Well, the BBC still have it, but they're, you know, they've got an outsider influence in it. Yeah. So it's the best of both worlds, I think. Indeedy. Yes. Yes. Right. News done. That's it. Review time. Let's get into it. Let's do it. What are we doing, bud? Yes. Let's jump into the flux with the first episode of Series 13, which is, of course, the Halloween apocalypse. Feeling that some of this is my fault. Don't feel like That's an invasion fleet, right? It looks like it. Why is that? What's the flux? That's not a question I can answer. Yes, you can. Why don't I know about this? And who else does? We don't have any more time. Oh, it's a good trailer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, the Halloween apocalypse then. It What's was it all about. <laughs> um very recently, so obviously first broadcast on the 31st of October, Halloween Ooh. this year. <laughs> this is for uh time capsule purposes, I'm gonna say twenty twenty one. Even though we know it was last week. It was <laughs> written by the Chibonator, it was directed by Jamie Magnus Stone and stars Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. Mandip Gill as Yaz and our new companion, uh, Dan, Dan Lewis, played by John Bishop and fairly sizable supporting cast for this one. The mm. synopsis is Halloween 2021. A storm approaches. Something tears through space and time, undoing everything it touches. Who is the man who escapes his shackles? What about Dan? Uh, has got his captor's attention. Why have the angels come? And what will remain of Earth when this night is done? So, big stakes, dude, right off the bat, it seems, with this one. Mm. Right then. What do you reckon? Dude, what do you reckon to this one? <laughs> well, it, it kicked off, didn't it, with action, and it, it was like a roller coaster ride. It literally never stopped. It was, the pace of this was uh, neck-breaking. Like, literally, it was all go. Um, all systems go. And um, there was a lot to take in. I mean, blimey. We kind of knew from the promo pics um, that we were getting a lot of this stuff, but when they say Chibnall threw everything, including the kitchen sink in, I, he really did. I mean, this episode had so much going on. It was a lot to take in, to be honest. Um, and uh, I gave it another watch yesterday, so I watched this episode twice. But on first viewing, I really enjoyed it. Um, there was a hell of a lot to, to compute. I was like thinking, wow, one minute... You know, you've got new characters being introduced, who I think look awesome, by the way, the swarm. Um, And then you've got, like, some woman rocking up saying she knows the Doctor. Who the hell's that? Then you've got Vinda escaping in a pod and Sontarans, weeping angels. I was like, blimmin' heck, and all this, and you're getting Dan introduced as a new character, not to mention the dog character, (laughs) Carver Vinster. Carver Vinster, is that how you say his name? Carver Vinster? Carver Vinster. So there was a lot to take in, and it, in a way, it could have been overwhelming, but I found it quite exciting. And yeah, I really enjoyed it on the first watch. 
I did wonder how it would stand up on a second watch because I kind of felt like the whole episode is set up. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But because we know it's one big story, I'm absolutely fine with that. Like, there isn't a a great storyline in this in terms of, you know, as a standalone episode. It, it is all set up. But as I said, it, as an overall arc, I'm absolutely fine with that. So I really enjoyed it. I was pleasantly surprised. I When the episode finished, I was absolutely buzzing to watch uh, the next episode, which I have not felt for a very, very long time. Like, I can't remember the last time an episode got two finished, and I thought, like, I literally, there were rumours that they were going to drop the whole series on iPlayer. And, and and the advertisement that comes up for this kept saying Doctor Who on iPlayer, and I thought, are they going to do that? So we immediately checked to see if the next episode was on there. And I tell you, if it was, if it had been, I would have jumped straight in. It really, really uh, left me wanting more, which is what I wanted. You know, I remember saying to you last week, didn't I? Please be good. Please let this episode be good. And um, yeah, it's not perfect, obviously, but it, it, it did what it needed to do for me. It introduced new characters, which I thought were brilliant and scary. It had classic monsters in there, which were great to see. Um, it introduced a new character, Dan, who I immediately liked. I was amazed how quickly... I liked Dan. I mean, straight from the get-go, it was just... You know, when we've talked about how, how Chibnall struggles to sort of uh, write characters you can connect with, just by making Dan this fun character that was pretending to work in the in the uh, museum and, and getting thrown out, and then in the food bank, he just was immediately likeable. And I was like, see, Chib- Chibnall can do it. He can write characters that you think, oh, he's a good guy. Like This is a guy I like, and... He had some fun scenes, so I, I warmed to Dan almost immediately. Uh, and that got me off to a really good start for the episode. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about, mate. I'd, I'm just going to hand over to you now, but I will just say I was thoroughly enjoyed it. And I watched it again yesterday, and uh, I enjoyed it just as much. I just watched it to make some notes because, as I said, whew, heck of a lot to take in <laughs> in this one. It's it's like, you know, the, the, the accelerator has been put into full gear and it and it's not you know it's not taken off is it it's it's full on you know so yeah anyway i enjoyed it what did you think yes i um mostly like this one mostly liked it okay mostly liked it yeah i think i think that this is probably one of the best episodes that that, that we've had since the chibnall and jody era for sure Defo, because, mm-hmm. mainly because, I think Jody has stepped up a wee bit, which mm-hmm. is exactly what we needed in the previous series. Yeah. You know what I mean? We needed uh, we needed Jody to just, I don't know, just d- not so much Jody, but the writers just to do away with all the, with all the waffle mm. and just get down to business, which I think happens because a lot of the scenes were so short. And it was cut really quickly and the pacing was really fast through most of the episode. There was a couple of times where it slowed down a, a, a little bit. But for certainly the scenes with the Doctor and Yaz in them, they were really fast. So mm. just by the very nature of time, it didn't allow them to do all the, you know, all the sort of gobbledygooky speak that she tried to do in the past series and stuff like that. So for that reason alone, it was very cool. And I'm loving the fact that 
yeah, like you said, it just went into such a high gear straight away. It's like yeah, boom, like the opening scene with with them hanging upside down on the grav bar and stuff. It's just awesome, and it didn't really slow down, not really until the end. And it was very cool. It was um, uh, you know, one of our complaints from the previous series was that the the pacing just was off a lot of the time. Where we said it, that some of the episodes just got stuck. Uh, like 70 percent and uh, we really needed like more of a build-up or we needed more action or we needed something else and it just felt a bit flat so there's no way that you could say that about this episode it was you know top gear all the way through which is good Uh, i think overall um uh there, there are a couple of things i wasn't too keen on was for me personally and for you and you know our our friends of, of you know other Doctor Who fans, it would have been fine. But I can imagine that for casual viewers or for people that watched Doctor Who when David Tennant was on it and hadn't watched it since, this would have been maybe too much of a too much of a mind melter for them. Mm. Um, to a degree, not too yeah. much, but uh, it, that does come with a sort of a silver lining, a bit of a happy accident. In that, if people were a little bit, what the bloody hell's going on? then that's just all the more reason to come back and watch next week, you know, and the following weeks and stuff. So it's not too bad. It was just a bit of a, you know, if I was recommending Doctor Who now to a friend, like somebody said to me, oh, Doctor Who's back on, should I watch it? You know, my reply would be, yes, absolutely. But just, you'll be scratching your head for a little bit afterwards. So just make sure you keep watching it. And then the other thing is that I've still got this little irky, rankly feeling under my skin that... uh, it, it it feels like Chibbers is writing this as like somebody that's somebody that likes Doctor Who and is writing Doctor Who as like sent in a script or sent in a story to the people who make Doctor Who. Like if I really need to make sense with this one. Um, I feel like when we get to the end of this series and we look back on it, it will be like, yeah, there were some absolutely amazing moments in this six-story arc mm. and stuff like that. But it, yeah, it just it just feels a little bit like Chibbers is a bit of a fanboy who's writing a fan, like a fan fiction for Doctor Who. Um, yeah. Uh, and is not I don't know it just doesn't it still it still doesn't and I hate saying it I don't want to be a negative ninny but it still doesn't quite feel like Doctor Who that I want to watch mm, that's and, interesting okay yeah and that's only that's only a small percentage of me um, I don't want that to override my score or my feeling on the episode I just want to put it out there now mm. mostly 90% of me really enjoyed it it was a great watch you know I feel like it's the best that Chivers has done. But there is just a little part of me that's like it's something feels off. I I can't I can't really put my finger exactly on what that is, but mm. I think I understand what you mean. I mean I, I yeah, I I was worried when I saw all the monsters came back cuz I felt like is Chibnall now just um throwing in the stuff he thinks we want to see like you know is it going to be a bit fan like you said a bit fan fiction let's just throw in the weeping angels because i know people loves them and that because what i would like to think is 
you know, we, we talk about Russell coming back and, and the, there is no reason for Russell to come back unless he wants to. He, he doesn't need, a, you know, he doesn't need the work. I'm sure he isn't short of a bob or two. There must be something he wants to do. He's obviously got a plan. With Chibnall, I do often get that feeling like, does he actually, does he sort of, you know, is the passion there, basically? And maybe that, is that what you mean? Is, it, is he doing it because he absolutely loves and adores his show and, you know, he really, he's got all these ideas that he wants to get out on screen or is he doing it just because he likes the show, but he hasn't really got much of a plan? And oh, I, don't know, I don't really know what I want to do with it. You know, he's been handed it, but what does he know what he wants to do with it? Does that make sense? Like, I feel yeah. with Russell, he yeah. must have got a plan because otherwise, why would he come back? There must be something Russell wants to do. With Chibnall, I don't get that feeling. So I don't know if that's what you mean. I mean, even though I, I really enjoyed this episode and I think... The only thing I can think in terms of Chibnall's plan and maybe something he wants to do is the, the division stuff. Um, clearly, he wants to elaborate on that, and that, that seems to be very much his thing. Whether that's going to lead into the timeless child, I don't know. But So, there, you know, there is that sense that he's got a bit of a plan of where he's going with the series. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's, that's part of it. I think... Um... Yeah, I don't want to dwell on this too much. I don't want to be uh, negative at all because it was a great episode. But I think what I mean is he obviously needs to wrap up something to do with the timeless children or the timeless mm. child thing. And I think that's the reason why the Doctor is um, still uh, pursuing and going after Carvanista because he's the last member of the Division. And yes. that the Division plays such a key role in the whole timeless child thing. So I think alongside the whole flux story thread which is obviously the driving force of the series it seems i think he still has the, um he he probably wants to have a you know try and tie that up to a degree the timeless mm -hmm. child thing maybe because when we had that revelation of the timeless child previously after that it felt like it was never mentioned in the first place yeah, it's kind of brushed off, it wasn't was it? Yeah, under the carpet. Even though it was such a huge, massive thing that mm. you know that could potentially destroy the entire canon of the entire show, it was like it was this massive climax, and then after that, it was well, nothing. <laughs> it was nothing. So, um, so I think it's a combination of Chibber's wanting to progress his own little idea. That sounds patronising. His little idea, his idea mm. of the timeless child and stuff for his own his own writing merits and stuff like that and his own wants, which is fine. But I also feel like the BBC has said to him, look, over the past two series, um, the, uh, the, the viewing numbers have steadily declined and we have more and more people within the community being negative about the show. You've got to do something to, mm. to you know, at the end of the day, I know that you're, you're a fan of the show and you're writing what you want to write, but we still we we're still a TV channel. We still need viewing figures. We need them to be strong. Yeah. So I think he's had a little bit of a look. You need to come strong with your final series. So I think that's why he's like, okay, let's bring the way, the angels back. Um, you know, let's kick it into high gear. Let's not have as much of the um, cloak and dagger approach that we had in a in a part two series. So, and I think as a result of that, it's now he's now been. Uh, kind of forced into a wee bit of a corner with the writing because I can't imagine Russell's going to be too thrilled about just knowing what the, the kind of Doctor Who that he wrote when he was, you know, showrunner and stuff like that. I can't imagine that he would be 100% thrilled with having to carry the Timeless Child thing 
throughout his era. That feels like mm. a bit of a dead weight, to, you know, like a boulder that you're dragging behind you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I feel like Ch- uh, Chivers has got to wrap this up or do something with it somehow. And then you couple that with like, okay, we need a real, obviously. And I'm not saying that he doesn't want to make good Doctor Who. Of course he does. But I'm saying that the, the BBC probably said, look, you need to do something with this. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, and for that reason alone, it feels like he's writing a bit of a fan fiction about Doctor Who. So that's just my thoughts. I, I get what you mean. I suppose I was, I, I, I'm sort of, although I get what you're saying, I think I'd rather have that than what we've had in the last two series. I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, if this is, I'd rather he, he throws it all in there and does this than actually trying to do what he was doing before. Because as I said, I, I really enjoyed this episode and there was lots of questions to answer. Um, and obviously I, I'm assuming we're going to get those answered over the course of this these six episodes at least i hope we do the timeless child thing i've said it before um i don't like the timeless child uh of reflection i don't like the idea of it but you know chibnall's throwing the grenade in let <laughs> it go off do something with it like don't you know don't just like i don't really want it carried over into rtd2 let's have it you know come on chibnall you've put it in there do something with it so whatever he decides to do i'm, I'm intrigued to see it whether i like it or not <laughs> yes, if that makes sense yeah. like you, you've 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 done it now chibnall so see it through basically so yeah i'm happy with that and um, we talk about episodes getting stuck in a gear quite often and i mean this got stuck in gear 10 and it really didn't <laughs> let up and again i would much rather that because I wasn't bored at all. There was not one single moment in this episode where I was bored, and that's quite a rare thing, I think, with any TV show. Like, even watching it again yesterday, um, it was a, it was a thrilling episode, I thought, in, in terms of that. I mean, the downside is, I think there were moments when it would have been nice if we just it just took off the break a little bit to allow some scenes to, to breathe a little. There are a couple of moments where I thought... We got some nice scenes. There was a good bit where um, Yaz and the Doctor are having a little chat in the TARDIS where she puts the headset on and she says, oh, I had a little glitch earlier. I just need to check I'm all right. And Yaz is like, what are, you, what, what are you on about, little glitch? And I thought that was a that was the only moment, really, when the brakes were took off just slightly and then we were straight back into the action. But um, it's not really a criticism because, as I said, it was nice to watch an episode and, and just be really going along with the ride and thinking... You know, I'm loving every minute of this, practically. I, I I just thought it was a really good ride. But, yeah, I don't know. The downside of that is it didn't have a lot of time to breathe, did it? It was stuck in the 10th gear pretty much all the way through. Mm. Um, but, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not really a criticism, more of an observation. Like, it uh, might have been nice if it had just eased off now and again. But <laughs> I'd much rather that. I mean, there were quite a few episodes in Series 12 where I was just like, you know, like the Ryan episode where he's with his mate, and I was like, this is so slow. Like, this is this is real. Oh, I'm getting really sort of um, bored. Whereas there was no time to even. <laughs> this is unintentionally going to say this, but there was no time to even blink in this episode. I, I was about to <laughs> say that about even meaning to, but no, there really wasn't, was there? It. Yeah, it was I, nonstop action right from the get go. Yeah, and I, I know what you're saying with that stuff, dude. It's um. I think the slower scenes for me were with Dan at the in the first yeah, true, quarter yeah. of the episode where he's at the the um the food bank or the homeless shelter whatever it was and yeah food bank yeah even at the beginning you know when we had that really lovely uh, sweeping drone shot of Liverpool where mm. anyone who's been to Liverpool you'd recognise it immediately it's got that very famous you know the liver Dogs. building and then you're down mm. to the down to that museum on the on the seafront and stuff like that and. <laughs> 
you can see he's passionate about where he comes from. Uh, maybe that was John Bishop's, you know, if I'm going to be in the show, then I'm going to be a proud Liverpudlian. I'm not just going to be mm. there for accent's sake. So you can tell that as he's taking the, the, he's like a tour guide unofficially. I think he was fired or something a while ago. Yeah, but something he's like that. Still yeah. showing up to do it. So you can tell that he's passionate about uh, that stuff. And they play on that a little bit throughout the episode as well. But, um, you know, when he's talking to Yaz about, she's like, what's wrong with Yorkshire and stuff? And, you know, there's a bit of, here in the, if you're not from the UK, uh, there's a bit of a rivalry uh, between various regions of the UK. So it's normally mm-hmm. Liverpool and Liverpool and Manchester have a bit of a rivalry and you just got the, the Northwest and then Yorkshire. There's a little bit of a thing there. So uh, they play on that a little bit, but those scenes where, where Dan was involved, they normally were the slower ones that I found, especially at the beginning when the trick or treater yeah. turns up with that funny clip that we got before the episode went out, you know, the guy with just, He's about twenty odd, and yeah, just wants a sweet and stuff. So that was fairly cool, and it wasn't until he got kidnapped by Carvinista later on, and he's being rescued and stuff. That from that point on, the slower stuff stopped for me. Mm. So it was mainly that set up for him in the earlier sides, which was like you said, that's uh, that was cool, and then the fact that we had such a high gear throughout everything, uh, or most scenes, is not a bad thing because I think. Going back and if we decide, you know, I don't know about you or, you know, if our listener has, has done this at all, but for me, I haven't really gone back and watched any of the Jodie stuff No, previously. But if I decide to go back and watch Series 13, which at the moment uh, I think I will based on this first episode, then that's what you need for a really good um, kickoff to, to, to a fairly short series. You can't wait. You know, you haven't got the luxury of 10, 12 episodes to build up and build up and then get your, you know, your your foot on the gas. So you've got to come out the trap strong. So, uh, yeah, I don't mind that, dude. Um, there were a couple of times, like you said, where it would have been handy um, for the Doctor to, to expand a little bit. But I think that was cleverly written, though, because I think that plays into the viewer's anxiety around what the Doctor's doing as well, because you can tell mm. that there's still that little bit of dist- uh, a little bit of disconnect and trust issue between the doctor and yaz where mm. yaz knows confidently that the doctor's not telling her something she's you know there's that thing going on where she can see that the doctor's turning something over in her mind and she's worried about something or whatever and yaz is pleading with her look just tell me what's going on but the doctor's still a bit um sort of secretive and cagey yeah. yeah and i think that plays into the viewer's side of things as well we want the doctor to tell us what's going on and stuff like that mm. so they could have slowed it down and expanded there but yeah i think that was good writing though to keep that short and concise because we're now thinking afterwards so what's wrong with the doctor what's what's this mm. going on so we obviously know that she wants to investigate the timeless child thing a bit more hence tracking down carvinista but other than that we don't really know mm. don't really know what's going I- on I haven't. I mean, yeah, I haven't gone back and watched uh, anything from series eleven or twelve since we reviewed it. I so I probably watched each episode twice because I, I tend to do that when we review an ep. I will always go back and rewatch it before we review it. Um, and there's no inclination to go back and and watch them with me. And that that I find sad because, you know, um, I'd like to think there'd at least be a couple of episodes I'd want to revisit. But uh, I, I just find myself there's that like you said earlier about there being something missing with series 11 and 12 for those episodes even the ones which i think are quite 
are, are good. There's something missing that makes me want to watch them. There's no heart to it in with me. It doesn't have that emotional connection. So, I, yeah, I haven't gone back and watched any. Whereas with this episode, I would quite happily watch it again right now. Um, the danger with this is um, because I because I've and it's by the sounds of it, you have found it a, a really strong opener. I'm really hoping that this can continue for the next five episodes. Like, I really hope this doesn't fizzle out, uh, either in the middle or at the end. I really hope this... I'm not saying it needs to be this action-packed all the way through this series, but uh, what I would love is if we get to the end of of Series 13 and I really feel like I want to go back and watch it from the start and really enjoyed it. That's what I'm hoping. Because, yeah, sadly, I didn't get that at all with Series 11 and 12. So it's a really promising start, and I, I would love to get to the end of it and feel like it had rewatch value. And it wasn't just, I think some of the things that people are worried about is that a lot of the things that have been thrown in there in this episode are going to turn out to be uh, like red herrings and, you know, they're not actually going to go anywhere. That's, that is a concern. Um, you know, like I, we, the character of the swarm and um, what was she called? Azura, was it? Azura, yeah. The other one, yeah. Two, I thought really creepy characters. I absolutely loved the style of them. You know, this sort of crystallized face that they've got. I think they look fantastic and they're really creepy as well. The the people performing them, um, Sam Spurrell, a swarm, Spurrell, Spurrell, and uh, Nadia Albina. No, sorry, that's Diane. Um, Rochelle and Sam. Yeah, great performances from them. And yeah, I'm really hoping that there's a lot of talk that Swarm could be the master. I think because he said renewed at last didn't he which sounds like a master line it sounds like something he said before and he knows the doctor and she doesn't know him also he breaks into her mind and shows the stuff which you know sasha's master kind of did um there are a lot of things pointing towards him being the master i don't know how they're going to get around that if that's true i hope he isn't i hope he isn't i i want him to be a new character and i'll you know i will, i want there to be a better twist than that if he just turns out to be the master i think that's going to be you know, yeah. so stuff like that could be disappointing. And I, unfortunately, you know, Chimnall has a knack of doing stuff like that, like cheap, what do you call it? Not cheap thrills, but like quick wins. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, okay, that's a shame, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so hopefully we'll get to the series. It'll be good. But what do you reckon to Swarm and uh, Azure? Good, good new monsters? Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Yes. And you know yeah. what, dude? I think the master's just too obvious. Well, that's what I mean. It would yeah. be, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be too. I hope so, anyway. But see, that's the other thing that's missing from series eleven and twelve for me, mate. This episode introduced new characters and new monsters, and that's what's been really lacking for me in the Chibnall era is this imagination of of new characters. Like um, even Carver, Car- I can never get to say his name right. How do you say it? Carver Insta. Carver Insta. Carver Insta. Even Carver Insta, right? Uh, I thought he was a brilliant character, um, excellently played by Craig Ells. Yeah. Uh, just really, really good. Um, I was <laughs> so at the start, right? I don't know if you thought this. You know, the very beginning when the Doctor and, and Yaz are, uh, are all uh, handcuffed and everything in the sky. Did you not think he sounded like Christopher Eccleston? I did a little bit. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I thought. Is that going on? Is that Chris Eccleston? Or it really sounded like it. Or Peter K. It was one of the yeah. two, or a mix, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but um, just, I suppose we may as well just quickly talk about him. What do you reckon to him as a character? For me, he brought a lot of fun to it, and he was a, 
I, I thought he's a really good character. I, I really like him. Yeah. He's got that grumpiness. <laughs> he's got the humour. He can be a bit scary. He's not afraid to get into a ruckus. Um, I thought the stuff with him and Dan was brilliant, where Dan's like, I'm not your human, and all that <laughs> stuff. You know, again, stuff that for me was making me laugh and making me gravitate towards the characters, which I've really not felt in in this era for a very long time. So, yeah, I, I, I really like him. I, I do want to say something about the mask, but I'll come to that when <laughs> after you've said what you think. Do you like... Uh, Carver, Carvanista. Carver, Carver yeah. Carver. Carver. Think of the drink, yeah. Carver. Nista. Nista. Think of Nista. Carver Nista. No, Nista. I know, I said it. Not I was, Nista. I was saying, think of Nista. Nista. Oh, anyway, okay. yeah. What do you think of him? Carvanista. So I thought he was a great <laughs> character, dude. Really, really cool character. And it was the concept is so simple, but yet so yes. borderline funny in a way where they kind of flip the whole man's best friend on its head where you know the dogs you know the space dogs are coming to rescue their human every um every uh uh person in the in the species there what's the name begins with p doesn't it the their species um what are they called what are they called Oh no! This is that moment when all the all the listeners are shouting at us. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah, for I don't know what they're sake. called. <laughs> um, While you're looking it up, I'm just going to say I loved that idea of all the spaceships joining up to wrap around the Earth as well. Yeah, again, cool. quite yeah. a simple idea, but I loved all that and the fact that they've all come to rescue one human and stuff. I thought it was just a cool, very simple concept as well. I re- yeah, I just really liked all that stuff. While uh, you're looking for the Lupari. Oh, there you go. We'll the Lupari, yeah. yeah. So um, they've all turned up and they've been uh, genetically assigned a human that they need to rescue, get off the planet. So that was very cool. Even that the doctor fun. says, yeah, oh, man's best friend and he's has it all look. So the actual character of Calvinista I thought was very, very cool because yeah. uh, that could have just been another human character. You know, that could have been any, uh, could have been anything, you know, previous to the whole division thing. But yeah, so the fact that it's a, uh, it's a it's a Wookiee style costume with a guy and and there was a lot of Nords, wasn't there in this uh, in this mm. episode? Because mm. uh, we obviously have uh, uh, Dan, who's from the North. We've got the Doctor, who's from the North, like the whole Sheffield thing. Yaz is yeah. from the North, and it reminded me of that um, that line from Chris Eccleston's Doctor when Rose is something like oh you're northern he's like yeah what's wrong with that every planet's got a north sort of thing and then you have mm. carvanista turns up he's got a northern accent as well so there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of norths in it but yeah he was just he had that he had that threatening nature about him which was cool but he also had i don't know he, he had a sense of um like he he knew exactly what was going on so when the, so instead of just attacking the doctor on site, he actually had a conversation with her, and then when she reveals to him a couple of things, his face, you know, changes. You know, when she's sending him the coordinates, like just link all your ships together, and he's yeah. like, "Why should I?" He's like, "Just do it now." And then he's like, "Actually, yeah, she's got a point." So he's like a, he's an intelligent character, which is good, but he's also got his purpose and his mission and stuff, which is cool. But he's just very, very strong, but a nice little bit of humour mixed in. Yeah, he's, he's likable, isn't he? He's, he's a likable guy, intelligent, but also, and he's a good guy. So we, we thought he might be a baddie, didn't we? But he's a good guy, just a bit grumpy. And and I really <laughs> liked him. And I, I like the overall look of him, but I do want to come to the mask because 
what I don't get is why they kept filming him in such a close-up because it really it didn't do the mask any favors. Like he looked really good um, <laughs> if they just when they shot him just a couple of steps back. Like the mask looked fine, but they did quite a lot of close-ups, and I thought, oh, you know, in HD that that. You know, it looks passable, but it's not great. Like, there's a bit where Dan strokes his face and, you know, it looks... Um, yeah, I, I just thought he looked great from a, from just a little bit further away. That You know, I was surprised how many close-ups they did of the mask because I don't think it was as good as, as perhaps they thought it was. But uh, <laughs> but I, it, it doesn't bother me. That's I mean, that goes hand-in-hand hand with Doctor Who, doesn't it? I don't get too hung up on things like that. I mean, even that awful... Do you remember the thing in Orphan 55? That thing that looked like the... the uh, character from Spaceballs, that dog woman oh, creature. Yeah. I mean, that was yeah. dreadful. But, yeah. uh, you know, stuff like that doesn't generally bother me. But, yeah, I, I love him anyway. I'm, I'm really on board with his character already. I, I hope he's going to be in it, um, you know, throughout the series because I think he's a lot of um, Carvavinster. Yeah, he's cool. Carvavinster. Yeah. <laughs> I got it, Carvavinster. Yeah, no, he's cool. It's um, Yeah, I think we need characters like that as well. Yes, well, we need this, characters. Yeah. That's what's been missing, isn't it? Everyone's just been such a cardboard cutout in a lot of Jodie's era. It's, it's just nice to finally get some fun new characters and some also some evil new characters, you know? Mm. And, um, yeah, they're all working for me at the minute. Oh, apart from one, actually, who's kind of got lost in the mix for me, uh, which is Vinda. Uh, there was a bit, such a big thing made about him joining the show. Oh, yeah. Um, it was like a big oh. reveal. This guy, Vinda. Um I think he, because there was so much going on in the episode, for me, he kind of got lost. I, I I forgot he was kind of in it until the rewatch. And I was like, oh, yeah, Vinda, this new guy. Um, yeah, I'm guessing he's going to be a lot more prominent in the rest of the series. But I've got to be honest, he didn't read, in the scenes he was in, he didn't really do anything for me. He he did feel a little bit by numbers, if you know what I mean. I was a bit, you know what I mean? Like Dan immediately warned to him, love Carver of Insta. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're, they're, I immediately wanted them, but but Vinda didn't really do anything for me at all, really. But maybe he will when he's given a bit more screen time. I don't know. Mm, I thought he was really good. You know, did you? You like Vinda? Yeah, Vin- Jacob Anderson. Yeah, I think. Vin- he, um, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think that was on purpose. Completely is yeah. to not make too much of his character in this first right. one. Okay. Yeah, I think he's meant to be more of. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he's actually doing on that remote outpost. Because it sounds like in the first scene that we see him, he's doing his um, his daily recording of what's going on. And, um, yeah, I think he's just reporting on looking at exactly the same bit of space that he's looked at, what sounds like for years on end, and he's really bored and nothing's happening. So when the flux turns up and starts to demolish all of the, all of the universe around him and he buggers off, I think that was a nice little setup. I think if we had too much of his character and if he was too that would have been like even more like um, uh, it would have just been too busy within this one episode. Cause I've already said that the gear was really high throughout yeah. and there was lots going on. I think if, I think if they tried to make too much of his character, then we're in uh, busy, busy TARDIS team territory where yeah, I get you. you start yeah. sacrificing that screen time for what else was going on, mm. you know? So, um, but I really liked him. I think he's a great actor. I think I'd be interested to see, how he teams up with the Doctor and Yaz and Dan, because we saw that in the trailer, didn't we, where they were together somewhere. They've they've come together at some point. So it'd be interesting to see how they... Um, now, just happened. you saying that's made me think, I think he's going to come and rescue the Doctor. You think? 
in the in the yeah because it was a good cliffhanger wasn't it it was a really good cliffhanger and i thought i've, d- I've just suddenly thought of that because he's kind of maybe that's why he's purposely been left to just one or two scenes because he's gonna i don't know i just thought of that as you were saying it but I, he's yet to grow on me i mean i think he's a you know okay i kind of like vinda but yeah he's not he's not sort of grabbing me at the minute um what's all the liverpool 1820 stuff as well because that for me got lost completely on a first watch it was only yesterday that I, i'd completely forgotten about all that so we we go back to liverpool in 1820 and there's these two guys uh are they in by a mine shaft or something i don't know so what's going on there what are they building what's because he's like time's running out and you know we've got to build this and then it's like it jumps 201 years later which chibnall loves doing those screen captions uh <laughs> but yeah what the, what are those guys what's that got to do with anything yeah so this is kind of playing on so they do this occasionally with doctor who yeah. where they take um a historical thing that actually happened and they apply their own little doctor who uh, sort of sci-fi twist to it so remember in one in the capaldi episode where they played on this thing around um, certain streets on maps that were hidden. Trap streets, they were called. Trap street, yes. Yeah, which yes. was an actual thing that map makers used to do back in the day. Mm. Uh, this is a similar thing. So a guy called Joseph Williamson was back in yeah the early 19th century. Um, he basically you know, ordered the construction of these tunnels, which in Liverpool now are called the Williams- Williamson Tunnels. But nobody knew exactly why he wanted them made oh right okay yeah, so, this is all new information to me yeah so okay. it's uh it's an actual so nobody really knows what his what his purpose was from having these tunnels made so um apparently it's the subject of you know a lot of historians and you know academic people in universities and stuff that right. you know th- th- there's a lot of speculation and chatter around well why did he make these tunnels what was the purpose and stuff so uh, not only do we not know, as the viewer from uh, the, the the episode, the real world doesn't really know why they were made either. So, yeah, all we know is it's a little historical nugget um, of thing that not exactly happened like that, but it's kind of you know based on a on a true thing. So that's one of those things, isn't it, that will be tied up later, I suppose. So all how we know, cool. yeah. So how we know? All, sorry, all we know at the moment is. Um, that that guy Williamson, uh, who's having a bit of a ruckus with what looks like the guy who's funding the project. Mm. His mate turns up and he's like, "Look, what's going on? This is ridiculous!" And he fights back. He's like, "I know exactly what I'm doing. This is all for a bigger purpose, sort of thing." So we'll, I, I have no clue, absolutely no clue how that's going to pan out. Uh, I imagine we'll get a few little flashbacks to that time period and what's going on yeah. with those tunnels as we go e- through each episode. But how it all's going to how it's all going to coalesce. I have no idea, but that's really cool, mate. I had no idea about that, I, and I, I, I really like that. Cool. I love the yeah. fact that that's a real thing, because um, yeah, that's wow, that's brilliant. So yeah, that that's really cool because that that to me was just such a throwaway. I was like, what is going on here? Like this doesn't, you know, like the other stuff I can kind of connect, but this just seemed really random to me. So, but that's that's interesting. So, uh, yeah, I wonder how they're going to utilise that. Mm. I kind of like it when they do that as well, when they bring in things from the real world. Um, Yeah, it just brings it a bit closer to home. That's awesome, actually. Yeah. Yeah, See, again, now when I rewatch that, it'll have a totally different meaning to me. That's brilliant. Yes. No, it's Mm. cool. Yeah, very cool. I'll tell you another scene I did find a bit random, mate, (laughs) is um, the the bit with Claire. 
So, you know, this woman, she just sort of waltzes up in the middle of the action and says to the doctor, uh, yeah, oh, you probably haven't met me yet. I'm from your past and all this. And what I found strange about it was that the doctor didn't seem at all concerned. Uh, I know she had a lot going on. <laughs> she mm-hmm. had a lot on her plate. I get it. But she kind of just gets the TARDIS and goes. And that that was strange. I thought that surely the doctor would be like, um, oh, you better come in. This is obviously something to do with what's going on. And the doctor just seemed to be very dismissive of her. But who's that character, do you reckon? Claire. Mm. Like, she knows that another one that knows the Doctor, but the Doctor doesn't know her. And, and she's like, oh, I've got, got to go and... What does she say? I'm taking the long way round or something. Yeah, something like Again, that. Again, another yeah. sort of quote. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Chibnall's really throwing in, you know, another intriguing line. I'm taking the long way home or something, she said, didn't she? Um, yeah. And then she got... There was a brilliant scene with the angel where she got taken by the Weeping, weeping Angel. Uh, that was great. You know, when she's trying to get in her house and she was desperately trying to keep her eye on the angel and she almost did it. Oh, it was, it was brilliant. Really, you know, uh, a good use of the weeping angel. It made it, it was really scary, I thought. Um, just the way they did it because she's so close to getting in and you just see the eye. Oh, blinking. Oh, she's gone. <laughs> uh, that was great. It was a really good scene. But what, who do you reckon Claire is? Like, who's this woman? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's un- yeah, it's an... Yeah, as we mentioned at the very beginning, there's a there's a few things in the episode where uh, it's going to be almost painful to to have to get through the series to find out the conclusion to some of these things. But there's a couple of things that I love about that that the way that character was brought into the episode. So back in the episode Blink, it was really it was done in a almost um, a romantic way, I would say, because Blink is is. Uh, its, its main driver, I suppose, is relationships in that episode, mm. and uh, and that was all very nice. And when the doctor sees, um, when the doctor bumps into uh, Sally at the end of that episode, blink, it's it's a similar reaction, but the doctor plays uh, pays a bit more attention to her. Yeah. So she knows who the doctor is, but he doesn't. You know, it's a similar thing. And when Claire rocks up, she's like. Uh, you know, we have a similar thing. Like I know who the doctor is, like what, you know, sort of thing. But the thing that I liked about it was it wasn't planned that way. So the doctor, so Claire was surprised that she was seeing the doctor now at that point, Mm. it sounded like she knew she was going to see the doctor, but maybe much later. So that was really cool. It was that time, a a little bit of timey wimey, but not like a whole mind melter, like, Oh my God, I don't understand what's going on. It was just clear that, she was just surprised to see the doctor at that point. And then the other thing that was cool is how suspenseful that weeping angel bit was because it was brilliant. Yeah. Just by their very nature, it's, it's, um, it's, it's easy to get that stuff wrong. It's easy to overplay that stuff, Mm. but it was done really well with the whole reaching behind her and trying to get the key in the door because as a, as a viewer, you're like, how flipping difficult is it to get your key in the door? I can do that with my eyes shut. But I think if you were to try and put yourself in that situation where you're absolutely terrified. And that, you've got to keep your head looking straight at that thing. Yeah, that would be that would be incredibly difficult to do, I think. And mm. uh and what's also um what's also strange, well, I, I don't know about strange, but she knew exactly what what it was. Mm, she knew yeah, exactly point, yeah. yeah she yeah. it wasn't like she's like oh it's a weird statue whatever she as soon as she saw it she's she like knew, yeah. her face was like oh beep and she I didn't even think about that yeah, yeah she even says to herself out loud like don't blink you know mm. don't blink so i'm intrigued by her character dude 
I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what what she's about and why she's there. Because mm. she's obviously been zapped across time somewhere by the angel. And I assume that um you know, she's going to interact with the doctor at another time point, you know, whatever. But yeah, fair play to Chibos for that bit, though. That was a re- that was one of the better kind of ooh, what's going to happen there? So I think that character Claire and Swarm and her sister, those two are going to be the most intriguing. Who are they? And like you said earlier, there's a lot of chat around is he the master? Mm. Um, there's also a lot of chat around is it Omega? Oh, hang on. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, my word. Come on. Wow. Yeah, now that's now that could make sense, you know, because he's been rumoured to be coming back for a while. I hadn't thought of Omega. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, just quickly going back to Claire, mate, she seemed to know it was her time as well, didn't she? Doesn't she say, like, oh, well, like she's, she seems to know she's going to die. She I can't remember what she says, but like she's like, oh, well, I can't put it off or time for me to go or something. I don't know. She seemed to know that it was going to be her time yes. as well. So yeah. she is really intriguing. But um, the swarm was Omega. Mm, that's interesting. I may not be able to get that out of my head now. That's, <laughs> um, yes, could that be? To mm. me, that seems more plausible than the master. To me, anyway. Yeah, and I would think I would I would much prefer that. It'd be so much more interesting. Do you know what, mate? Just talking through this episode, this is what has been missing from the Chibnall era for me anyway. Is It's throwing out questions and getting us all talking and guessing. And um, and I think although we've had one or two bits in, in series 11, 11 and 12, this episode's thrown out a million questions. <laughs> and it's actually, I'm finding it genuinely exciting to, to be talking about Doctor again. I, I'm thrilled to be feeling like this. I have not been you know fellow this about dot two in a very long time and uh it, we, and we haven't even mentioned half the other stuff in the episode is i've got to take my hat off to chibler he's really given us some good stuff to talk about i really hope it pays off but um yeah it's great to have all these questions and and to be speculating like this you know it's really got us our thinking caps on hasn't it it's brilliant actually defo yeah mm-hmm. yeah um just quickly talking about that weeping angel scene I'll tell you another thing that was good about it: the music. Oh, I'm going to yeah, take I'm going to yeah, take my hat yeah. off to Sagan, as well, because I'm not. It's not that I'm not a fan of him. It's just that I'm, I prefer Murray. I love Murray's music. Sagan's I find, <laughs> I don't I don't dislike it, but it's very one tone for me. I I find it a bit drab at times. I'm going to take my hat off to him and say he did a great job in this episode. I was listening carefully on a rewatch yesterday to see how the music fitted with the with the scenes because a lot of people had criticized him for the comedy scene with Dan saying, Oh, you know, Sagan can't do the comedy music like Murray did, you know, it's, it's totally the wrong tone. I, I thought his music really fitted in nicely. It, it is very much underplayed. It's a totally different style to Murray. Um, but that's not a bad thing. You know, Chibnall's taken in a different direction. We can't have the same thing over and over again. Um, and I, I just thought in scenes like the weeping angel, and especially uh, with the uh, cliffhanger and um, the stuff with the swarm. Um, Segan, for me, was really dishing out some good stuff. Um, you know, there's some really nice music in this. It, again, very much in his style. You know, it's very minimalist, but uh, there was some good stuff that really fitted and helped create a very creepy and intense atmosphere, I thought. So I'm going to take my hat off to Segan in this one. I liked it. Yeah, I agree, dude. I think this was one of his one of his best episodes for music mm. because it it took us it, it took it a step further from just being 
atmospheric supporting music, which is, like you said, very minimal, to being very much more... Uh, it's, it sounded as well like they just in, it's up the volume a little bit for a, quite a few scenes, you know? Mm. So it did feel... Because one of the things that we said uh, when we reviewed anything with Murray in it was that sometimes it's like we can't hear what they're saying. Actually, I did find that a couple of times in this. You've just reminded me. I, 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 uh, I don't know if I'm just getting old, but I, there were a couple of bits where the music was drowning out. I was like, what did she say? Uh, even on a rewatch. Um, yeah, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to criticise it because I really liked it, but there were a couple of bits where I couldn't understand what I'm saying. I think it's main, mainly in that first scene, actually, where the very first scene with the Doctor and Yaz um, hovering on the bar and all that, you know, that, that really great intro. Uh, that that was full on and the music again was good but yeah I did struggle to hear what the doctor was saying a little bit of the time that was funny though when she's going release release you know <laughs> these are scenes which uh, in other series I found could be really cringy but um, I thought it was a good opener that I thought it was fun I was a little bit worried because it was a lot of quirky one-liners between the doctor and Yaz and I thought oh dear you know it's not going to be it's not going to be too silly is it you know as, a, as, a, as an intro it was a little bit worrying um but watching it again yesterday as a, as an episode as a whole, I thought it was a really fun way to start the episode, you know, straight in there like that. It was quite a fun scene. A little bit of trivia on that bit. Mm-hmm. Wee bit. So those uh, cuffs, um, She, the Doctor thinks that when she set up the voice control for them, she was doing them in previous incarnation with a Scottish accent. So we wouldn't know it in this country... But over in the US for BBC America, if you had the subtitles on, the first attempt when she tries to do a Scottish accent, the subtitle says, in the style of the 12th Doctor. Oh. And then the second time she tries to do it, the subtitle say, in the style of the 7th Doctor, McCoy's Doctor. Ah, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's that's a cool little... Uh pop fact that's, that's cool. brilliant yeah that is cool also nitro 9 gets a mention in that scene doesn't it, it does which again indeed. was a little bit of a hey moment i liked that I like the fact that that got got mentioned uh, i'm not going to read too much into this and nobody seems <laughs> to have really mentioned it online but i couldn't you know everybody's saying is there going to be the uh, whole thasmin thing doctor 13 doctor and yaz getting together that's been rumored for a while couldn't help but notice when they land in the tardis they land on a double bed in the tardis as if that's oh, like where yeah. they see. I'm just, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, not going to dwell on it, but I just couldn't help but notice that. So clearly, uh, I mean, there's quite a lot of room in that TARDIS. I'm sure there's room for two beds. <laughs> well, the Doctor doesn't <laughs> sleep, so very. Well, you think Yaz has just got a double bed yeah, to herself? Probably. Yeah. yeah, that that makes sense. I wouldn't read too much into that. I'm not going to. I just, things, it's yeah. just that because I was watching it, mate. So we'd all had a few beers when they landed on the double bed together. <laughs> <"Whoa, hey!" laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the whole Nitro Nine thing, though. That was so yes. good. Yeah. Sophie Aldred actually tweeted about it as well, which is nice. I'm glad she was watching yes. and saw that. So yeah. that was cool. Yeah. Um, let's talk about... Um, okay, so we've gone through a few characters already then. And did you Yeah, did you like Dan, though? You haven't told me. Did you like Dan? Yeah, I was going to say, I love Dan. You did? Honestly, Brilliant. Yeah, okay, I, cool. Yeah. yeah. There, was, um, there was a small part of me that thought, ah, John Bishop, he's such a likeable guy, very funny. But is he going to work as an actor? Because that's a that's a very big difference from being uh, an entertainer. 
like mm, you know I like know. somebody that appears on a lot of you know uh, comedic game shows and does stand up com- comedy doing that sort of stuff is obviously very difficult and requires a certain sort of person but it's really completely different world to straight up acting so i thought is he going to tran- is he going to move over and i know he's been in a couple of little things in the past so it's this is not his first rodeo but this you know this is a big show for him to be in so i thought is he going to be a little bit wooden is he going to be a bit ott blah 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 but actually dude he was completely natural really was. just bang on really likable really funny like there's like the his reaction to things you know when carvanista tries to do the jedi mind trick on him yeah <laughs> and he's like his face has just got that confused like what are you doing doing yeah. yeah he's and he and that the the two in and throwing between him and carvinista was so funny mm. uh, and he played that really well so just out of the out of the gate dude i thought he was really good and i, I think um uh i stand by what i said before is that he's almost got a bit of donna noble vibe about him mm. I, he really has got that really cool grounded working class person about him but he's got that likable friendly funny funny streak to him yeah i hear you i hear i i had similar concerns because i uh, john bishop always comes across as such a nice guy in interviews um and uh, i've been quite jealous because a couple of my different friends have gone to the stage door to meet him in the last week as well and have said he's like so friendly apparently um but yeah i had concerns i thought you know he's a nice guy but is he going to be able to deliver the lines a in a way that's funny but feels natural you know it doesn't feel forced and is he going to be a bit wooden as an actor how's he going to fit into this um and you know the whole uh, chemistry between him and yaz and the doctor i thought is this going to work you know he's quite a strong he's got quite a strong accent quite a strong presence you know is it going to work and he just seemed to fit in effortlessly mm. i thought and his delivery of the humor as well was done so well it was you know slightly underplayed which is what it needed to be it wasn't like he was saying it wasn't like he was delivering um like a stand-up or comedy lines you know the, the humor felt very natural and, and he delivered it well so i was very impressed with john bishop i as i said earlier uh, just immediately liked him um and i there were really nice scenes as well the stuff with him and carvinista the stuff where the doctor gave him his house. I loved that bit. She's like, oh, by the way, Dan, here's your house. And she hands in this little miniaturized house, which again, kind of, you know, the doc, <laughs> the master miniaturizes things, just saying. But yeah, um, stuff like that, you know, there was some lovely scenes with Dan and I think they're going to work well together, these three. I, um, just two things so I don't forget. Firstly, did you notice, and this could be a production error or it could be something else, because I... You know, they, they like to throw these things in. So Dan's house is number 37. The house next door is number 49. So how does that work? So is, is that a little production? Have they just put fake numbers on and, and didn't realise that you could see the house? To me, that just seems a bit too obvious to be a mistake, but mm, don't know. Um, talking of mistakes, there were a couple of scenes where the TARDIS interior, the picture they put in the prop. <laughs> so it was upside down in a couple of shots, which we'd noticed... When they were filming, people had noticed that. They were like, oh, they've put, the, they've put the backdrop in upside down, the idiots. But now I'm starting to think that was on purpose because no, of all the stuff they? going. Yeah, there was a couple of scenes where the you have to blink and you'll miss it. But uh, there are a couple of scenes where the, the backdrop is in 
upside down, which people had noticed when they were filming. You know, they were like, oh, the idiots have put the TARDIS up wrong. And maybe they did, or maybe it's supposed to be there again. I don't know. But that's on purpose, though. That's like, what I mean. I think it is. Yeah. But at the time, we just thought they'd put the prop together wrong. But now I'm thinking it's on purpose. But there's a scene mm. where they come out and it's upside down. But when they go back in, it's back up the right way. So mistake or not, we don't know. Mm. Um, but so, yeah, what do you think about Dan's house? That, the, the number, is that a mistake? Or is that? do you think that's a little... Says something weird about Dan's house because you can't have number forty nine next to number thirty seven. That doesn't work. <laughs> so it's mm. either a production error, or yeah. it's it's a little thing of oh you noticed that did you? Well, wait and see. But that that scene cracked me up when she gave him his little house. In his reaction to it, like is your house Dan? I was like, okay, that's funny. Yeah, I can't uh, live in that. Yeah. <laughs> the the thing I really want to ask you though is, so we both like Dan. Is he? Graham volume two or no. is he his own character no. and better than that because that's the other better. thing we were worried about yeah yeah no disrespect to Graham I thought he was a real great uh, companion and character in the last couple of series in a couple of episodes just saving the day in more ways than one mm. and Bradley Walsh is great don't get me wrong but I think Dan's got a little bit more uh, because of there's not as many people in the TARDIS at the minute I think we're going to see him do a bit more as well yeah and uh and with, with Graham's character, it's with the whole Graham and Ryan thing, it just felt like it was very predictable as well as we went mm. through the last couple of series. It was like, oh, yeah, we can see what's going to happen there. Whereas Dan, I think, is a bit of a wild card at the minute. We don't know if he's going to be... We don't know if he's going to be travelling full-time with the Doctor, if he's going to just pop up again. In the, One would assume so. One would assume he's now part of the crew, part of the fam. But it, it does, <laughs> you know, it doesn't we still don't know 100% his backstory properly mm. or anything like that. So I think there's more, it feels like there's more substance to his character. If, you know, I, I don't want to take any, anything away from Bradley Walsh and, and Graham's character. Cause that was very, you know, he was also very grounded and very likable and stuff, but mm. um, yeah, I think, I think uh, Dan has the potential to be a very, very good companion. Yeah. Here's, here's what's weird. Uh, so I liked Graham. Uh, and especially in series 11, we all know that he was shoved in the background for series 12, not not uh, Bradley Walsh's fault. But uh, here's the thing. Uh, if anything happened to Dan now, I've got more emotional attachment to Dan's character. If something, if he was to leave or get shot or killed off, I would be devastated. And he's only been in one episode. Whereas as much as I love Graham, when they left, I felt nothing, nothing at all, <laughs> you know, and I liked Graham. But yeah, if anything happened to Dan, I'd be like, no, not Dan. So that's another thing where it's, uh, I think is a step up with the writing is that um, I've already got emotional attachment to Dan that I would care like what happens to him in this series, like a lot. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So hats off to John Bishop. He's a great job so far. Yes. <laughs> He's only no, been in one app, but, yeah. you know, so far, really good. Yeah, totally agree, dude. Mm. Totally agree. Yeah, he's very good. Um, let's finish up on a couple of things then. I don't think we're going to cover everything, but we can't. It's impossible. Yeah. Like my whole notepad is just full of things. Yeah, uh, just a couple of small things and then a big thing. So small, small thing number one: Did you like the way that they introduced the character of Azure? So she was just the normal on. We thought that was just another a, strange scene, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So in the Arctic Circle, Anna and her partner, um, obviously they're doing, you know, living there, doing science stuff, whatever. You see this weird floating thing that almost looked like a beacon of some sort that activated. Yeah. And 
it was weird because it looked like the character of Azure was trapped in this human form. But when she saw that little floating drone beacon thing, she knew exactly what it was because she mm. just takes a hammer to it straight away. Yeah. And then when Swarm turns up in the night, obviously takes the, you know, kills her partner, the life, it takes his life force or whatever, uh, and then frees her. Then she becomes, you know, she looks very similar to Swarm and stuff like that. Did you like how they handled that stuff? Because I thought that was kind of cool. I did. I mean, dodgy accents aside, this sort of thing in the. Um, no, I did. Again, it was a really like out of the blue scene. We were, I'm like, God, where are we going to now? As if like we haven't got enough going on. Where where are we now? Um, and I thought it was intriguing. It's quite scary as well. When it was like the you know the way that they he was disintegrated in in front of her and stuff. Um, and then he's like, my sister Azur and all that. I thought it was very good. Yeah, really good. And I love the look of her as well. I, I really like the look of these guys. You know, like the design of them. This sort of glittery skeleton like thing with shards of god knows what sticking out of their faces and yeah i i thought it's good yeah it was cool yeah and then the other thing again relating to swarm was the way that they introduced him and the way that he um mm. uh so what did you think to so he was he's been imprisoned on this planet which is pretty much a desolate sort of asteroid looking thing at the minute but he's in this um prison what seems like an eternity it feels like did you like the two division agents? Uh, division agents? No, um, the time agency or whatever agents that turn up. One of them yeah. was called Katosks and the other one was Ensentak. Uh, they're there to check that he's still imprisoned okay and he's not up to anything. You could tell, couldn't you? The way that they built that scene up was that something bad was about to happen, like really bad. Mm. And uh, it's almost like... It's almost like... Um, uh, horror films that that to me was the scariest part of the of the, the episode and they treat it like any horror film that you've seen that's to do with exorcisms mm. you always have this person that's chained up or tied up and then when the priests are about to go in one of them always says never engage in conversation with with them you know they're they're there to deceive you and you know don't do that so what happens the person that gives the advice she's the one that starts talking to him and so on and uh that whole scene was really scary. That, for me, was the one bit that I've wanted in Doctor Who mm. for so long, where I wanted all the kids to duck behind the sofa like, Mum, this is yep. scary. And that bit Especially. where he he takes her life, you know, whatever, and his face kind of explodes with all these crystals and stuff, and then mm. they go back into his face, and then he appears younger and so on. He's kind of given himself a self-regeneration um, renewed at last he yeah says. yeah so did you like how he was uh how he escaped and that whole scene i thought that was brilliant that bit yeah i agree i did think it was brilliant and, and like you said it was a really good what i'd call a classic who horror moment you know the things that we've come to love from doctor who that it throws in these scary moments that are just borderline you know family viewing if you know what i mean they're right on the edge of it um and yeah because he looked like pinhead for a second from the the you know, those horror films, didn't he? Oh, when Hell, he was face Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's a great scene. It looked good as well. And it, it was, yeah, like you said, it was a, a proper jump scare moment. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. yeah. And it really introduced him as like, you straight away, you know, you're not going to mess with this guy. This is a scare. It's not like Tim Shaw, who started off quite scary, ripping out people's teeth, quite scary, and then ended up on the floor being shot in the toe. This guy, I think, no, you, you're not going to mess with him. There's a good scene when he's with uh, 
the doctor isn't there where she sort of recoils away from him when he's walking around her he's creepy as anything mm. um so yes i did like that scene and i i think he's a good yeah i'm a good villain whoever he is i, yeah. I like him or a monster i don't know they were awesome those scenes as well when he um almost like a psychic link to the doctor that scene with those two is beautiful yeah you know when when he starts talking to the doctor saying i know you and walking around her and she looks like really sort of creeped out by him that looked absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. the, the cgi in it quite simple as well wasn't it just colors and drops sort of drops range mm-hmm. or i don't know what it just looked great um what did you think of the cgi actually overall not just that scene but because a lot of people have said this and i kind of agree in a way i think some of it looked incredible absolutely amazing uh, i think there was the odd bit that didn't look quite as good but overall i thought it looked beautiful this episode i know what people means it's the odd ropey bit but i think you're going to get that it's just part part of it but overall i thought cg was excellent yeah no i agree i think um there's only so much you can do with yeah with the, the budget that they've got but i think the ropiest bits for me was at the beginning when they're hanging off the hover i was gonna say uh, uh yeah strangely i think it is the star which you would want to be the best <laughs> wouldn't you you'd want you wouldn't want the worst cgi at the beginning episode so that is odd but yeah. it still didn't look that bad i just don't think it looked as good as other bits <laughs> but it, no, yeah it i did think that's a bit of a shame that that was the bit that looked the worst yeah i don't think it looked bad any of it, it didn't look bad no uh, i'm no expert in visual effects but i think having when they're hanging off the hover um the hover bar and stuff like that i think it's really difficult to create a sense of motion when they're being sort of you know dragged through the air and stuff like that and i think that's reasonably difficult to do um so yeah and that wasn't too bad but the the most of it though was really it looked beautiful like the scene where um she had that psychic connection with swarm and that whole bit and uh just the way it was colour graded as well looked really good. Like when the TARDIS yeah. lands outside Anfield football ground, mm. that midnight um, sort of colour hues and stuff, they've really nailed um, just making it look everything like a simple street scene. They made it look very atmospheric. And um, there was a couple of scenes where I thought they'd gone a little bit, um, a little bit JJ uh, Abramsy Star Trekky, where every single oh, yeah. light had a lens flare on it, a flare, yeah, mm. and everything you know. So you can see that the the people working on the visual effects side of things are having an absolute ball doing it, mm. and they're really flexing their muscles a little bit. So it would be cool just to bring that rain that in just a, just a little bit, because um, it does look a bit uh, a bit Abramsy. But other than that, dude, it's uh, it's it's the best it's ever looked in terms of effects and just color grading and clarity it looks really good Mm. i think the problem is nowadays is we know how so much is done don't we we see so many behind the scenes things with green screen and stuff like that so when we seen when we watch scenes like the very opening shots we kind of know how it's done we're almost seeing beyond what's on the screen aren't we we're like oh so they're on a green screen hang out and it's a shame really because there would have been a time when we'd have been watching that going oh wow look at this but we kind of know too much. You know too much, don't we? We you know, know how everything's done these much. days. And it, yeah, <laughs> it kind of takes away the magic a little bit, in a sense. You know, because yes, you, you're yeah. sort of looking at it, knowing exactly what's the technicalities of it, rather than looking at it thinking, oh, that looks nice. Oh, my God, the doctor's upside down. What's going on? So I think that's the other thing, isn't it? We're just too too aware of stuff like that now. I mean, back in the day with Doctor Who, you wouldn't have known, are they? 
put it together necessarily and did all the effects, would you? But uh, yeah, we know everything now. <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah it looks good, yeah. mate. It did look good, I think. You know, it's had a bit of money thrown here for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, I've got one more quick thing before the bigger thing. It won't take too long, but uh, we've spoken about uh, Swarm, the Angels, and some other characters. We can't forget the old potato heads. They're back, the Suntarans. Mm. So yeah. this is all to do with the Flux, right? So the Flux, you know, has kind of rallied all of these things together, the Ravagers, the Suntarans, and Angels and stuff. So um, the, uh, the, the character... So we, you know, Strax is, you know, out the picture, and Karg and all those people. We've got new, we've got new Centauran. So, uh, Kragar um, uh, makes an appearance. Who is played by Dan Starkey, of course. Yes, that's right. That was funny. Uh, he was the guy in the hologram, right? Who was reporting yes. back? Yeah. Yes. Who looked awful? Apparently, he's like, you look terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Centaurans are back then, dude. And we said last week or the week before that we were hoping that they were not played in this comedic kind of way they are a little bit still i suppose especially um Kragar in this but uh the other dude uh what's his name ritz is it ritz score yes yeah. um he seems to mean business so i'm intrigued to see and we'll <laughs> definitely find out this sunday in the war of Centaurans episode what what he's I'm up so to but to it. Yeah. uh yeah you like the Centaurans in this one i did and um they were written as being comedic but they to me they got the line the, you know, the line between comedic and menacing just right, uh, because I thought it was a great scene. I love the fact that Ritzgall was having to go at Craig, Craig at Craigar saying, you look terrible and all this sort of stuff. And and the and the way that Ritzgall rejoiced in all the mayhem going on. And he was just loving the fact <laughs> the universe was being eaten up. And uh, so, it, yeah, I'm really liking the new Sontarans. I like the look of them. Um, I really like in the look of Rich score as a character. I feel like he's going to be fun, but he's also going to be menacing. Uh, so, yeah, so they weren't in it a lot, but it was a good scene. And um, I'm, it's really got me looking forward to next week that, you know, the, the, the Sontaran episode next week. Um, I think there's great promise from him as, as a Sontaran character. Like I said, yes, written a little bit comedic, but they, they also have got the balance right, I think. Yes. You know, they, yeah, I didn't feel like I, they didn't come across as silly. In, in other words, they just came across as quite funny, but also quite dangerous. So, yeah, loving those guys, mate. Yes, no, I agree. Yeah, the line was 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 done pretty well between I the humour so. and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we what about little uh, oh, uh, Diane though? Date night. She's meant to meet up with Dan. Oh, Diane. That was she's cr- now trapped in a wookie hole or wherever it is with those creepy <laughs> guys. Bit strange. Yeah. Yeah, that was also creepy. That bit when she gets lured Very. into the house. I mean, it's on one hand, it was the classic horror mistake you know the biggest the biggest problem with characters in horror films is curiosity mm. so she hears something she approaches it any normal person would have been like no I'm way out of here running yeah. the other direction but obviously this is tv and film so she obviously goes <laughs> investigates and she gets yeah trapped in that house so we'll see what happens with diane but she's probably not happy with dan because he missed date night and then she gets trapped in the house this is probably his fault yeah, and also why arrange to meet on the on a creepy street corner like that <laughs> straight out of the Exorcist? Yeah, another intriguing character, and um, you know the the fact that she's obviously playing a part in this. She's not just a side character; she's been lured to that spot by those the creepy swarm guy and all that. So yeah, that was creepy as hell. There's so as we're talking through this episode, mate. There is so much, isn't there? Like I'd. Conf- 
completely forgotten about the big creepy house and her going into it and all that. It's it's quite mind blowing actually the amount of yeah. stuff in this episode. Yeah. Yes. And then the last thing I just want to mention and get your thought on is the flux itself. So this is a a big cataclysmic thing. So Carvanista mm. describes it as a hurricane ripping through the structure of the universe. Obviously a big thing, right? A big, big threat. This yes. is yes. not something that the Doctor can just wave the Sonic at and, you know, yeah, sort it Yeah, that was waved around quite a bit again, wasn't it? But yes, not yeah. something she can mend with the Sonic, yeah. Yeah, so this is obviously a real big thing. We're not just talking about some alien thing that wants to eat a planet or, you know, the Daleks who want to, um, you know, remove a, you know, remove a solar system or anything like that. This is completely eating away at the universe itself and almost catches up with the doctor which is that awesome cliffhanger at the end awesome mm. take uh nearly takes out vinda he manages to escape and uh some of the other people like we just said the centaurans they sort of relish in this destruction yes, sort of thing but yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you reckon to the flux itself then because initially i thought oh this has obviously been created by swarm uh not too sure on that actually but yeah mm. it's definitely a big threatening thing yeah, and it does feel threatening. That's a good thing, you know. I mean, they, they've built this series up as the Doctor going up against the biggest battle ever. And, you know, it's the end of the universe, which has been done quite a few times. But it still had good threat to it. Um, there's a bit where the Doctor, uh, you know, smashes the TARDIS console to let out some vortex energy. And it doesn't even make a dent in it. Oh, you know, cool, so this, yeah. yeah, so this this thing means business. And uh, and that came across in the episode, you know. It, it wasn't just like, oh, whatever, the flux, you know. It, it was like, oh, the flux is literally about to swallow everything up. This, you know, how are they going to stop it? So, yeah, it's uh, the stakes are high. And I think it's, um, hmm. yes, it's going to be good to see how this plays out. I'm intrigued by the flux, what it is and who's created it and what's going, what's going to happen. Yeah, hmm. it's got real, it's got a lot of similarities to the reality bomb that Davros makes. Oh, yeah. In the previous yes. episode. So, hmm, that's food for thought as well. There is so much food <laughs> for thought. You yeah. know, I'm so pleased we're at this state. I can't say it enough, mate. I'm so pleased that we're like really trying to figure all this stuff out and it's, and it's got us excited again. It's, uh, oh man, it's, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a couple of, you know, a long time coming. This is exactly what we need. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I hope, I hope yeah. I'm saying the same by the end of the series. I know I keep backtracking on that. It's cause I'm so worried. It's whenever I enjoy something so much as this, I just don't want it to fizzle out and be rubbish. I, this is a great opener, you know? Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, the very last thing, just very quickly. Did you like Jody? Jody's performance. Yeah. Yes, actually, I just wanted to quickly talk about Jodie and, and, and Yaz, really. Um, yes, I did like Jodie in it. I mean, I, you know, I've struggled to connect with her doctor. She just, because of the way she's written, she's so sort of hyper and bouncing off the walls. And she's, it's like she's had, you know, 10 coffees every day before she starts. With, and, and I don't think she's been written to be particularly strong. You know, the screen presence has been massively missing. Uh, from from her doctor for me, uh, but I yes I liked Jodie this episode. She's she's still the same, but I did pick up that they've not necessarily toned her down because she's still coming out with the quirky one-liners. But she seems to work well with Yaz. You know the two of them work well together, and I didn't find myself getting irritated by her, which is what what's happens a lot. So this is another reason I haven't gone back to a lot of episodes in series eleven and twelve because there are uh, episodes I like. But even in those episodes, Jodie's Doctor gets on my nerves. Mm -hmm. So that's why I haven't gone back to rewatch them because I get halfway through and I'm like, oh, she's doing my head in and I switch it off. 
this episode, the quirkiness is still there, but there were some good scenes. I love the stuff when she's on the spaceship and she's laying down the law to carve an insta and she's like, she's seen this thing in the corner of eye that she's, you know, trying to ignore, but it's bugging her. You know, I, I felt like she gave a good performance in this. And I'm really, this is the other thing that by the end of series 13, I, my God, I really want to like Jodie's doctor. And I have been wanting to like her doctor since she took the role. You know, I was really excited when she got announced and so disappointed in her performance and the way she was written. Um, so I'm really hoping there's, uh, I'm not expecting a massive shift. I don't think I'm going to see any great standout moments from her like I did with Matt or, or Peter's doctor, but I'm not expecting miracles, but I would like to just like and enjoy her doctor by the end of the series. And I enjoyed her in this. I thought she was good. I thought she dealt with the comedy quite well, as well as the serious stuff. And, you know, uh, they've toned down the sort of, silly faces and all that and i think you said it there wasn't enough time in this episode for her to deliver some of the scenes that we've had previously with her doctor that just made me cringe where she's going up and sticking her neck out and gurning all the time and all this you know all the silly one-liners oh i invented baseball bats i did and all this sort of stuff is just so forced um i think there was one line in this where she said something about playing football or something um but overall she was written better and i think she's yeah settled down just a notch which I appreciated and I, and I liked her in it. And I just want to quickly talk about Yaz because I, I thought they worked well together. I think Yaz has got the great potential as a companion. I think she's a good companion. But one thing I'm slightly worried about with Yaz is she's starting to get a bit naggy and she's starting to get on my... <laughs> no, I need to say something else. <laughs> she's starting to get on my nerves a little bit, which I don't want because I like Yaz as a character, but she keeps nagging the Doctor... And what I don't want is a six Doctor and Perry scenario, you know, where she's just moaning every time she's in the TARDIS. Like, she did moan a lot in this episode. Because oh, even the Doctor loses her rag with her. She's like, sorry, Yaz, I thought I was showing you the universe, you know, because Yaz is like, nag, nag, nag. Doctor, you're not doing this. You're not telling me that. Why would I do that, Doctor? And I'm thinking, I, I, you know, I know they want to progress her character and they want to develop the character of Yaz. But don't do that by making her whiny and annoying and that thing that they did with Perry and the, you know, the Doctor and Perry where she just nags him all the time and spends the whole time walking around behind him yapping and stuff, you know, develop her in a good way, in a strong way. So I'm a little bit worried about that because everything I've seen in the trailers and in this episode points me towards the fact they're making Yaz a bit of a nagging nanny. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, could just, be. Yeah. Ease off that a little bit because I really like Yaz and I, I, I don't want her to annoy me. And she did a little bit in this episode, which is why I was glad when the doctor kind of puts her foot down. And that made me like Jodie's doctor more. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, tell Yaz to shut up. You don't owe her anything. So, yeah, they need to tone that down a little bit for me. Yeah, no, I agree with what you've said, dude, both for Jodie and and for Yaz uh, at Mandip um, Gill. So I think you're absolutely right. She is a little bit whiny. A little bit, yeah. I think she's more consumed with why the Doctor's doing what she's doing mm. rather than what they're there to do, it's felt like. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought Jodie was very cool. There was a couple of little one-liners, but they were they were not too bad. They were cool. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, wasn't enough to, to get annoying, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it feels familiar. Like Jodie hasn't thought, you know, I'm going to completely change how I play the Doctor. But it does feel like she's up to again a wee bit. So we'll see again how that plays out and how she mm. how she does over the rest of the series. But 
not many complaints for their performances, dude. Yeah. No, not at all, mate. Yeah. No. Okay. If there's nothing else on your notes, mate, we will put our scores on the doors. Yes, the only thing I've got written down is Cloister Bell. <laughs> just that, just that, because I liked hearing the Cloister Bell. I just want to say how much I love the TARDIS door thing that's going on. You know, all these, the TARDIS is all over the shop. Oh, yeah. yeah. I really like that. I love it when we get stuff like that in Dot 2. Like, there's mm. a TARDIS in the in the floor at the minute, isn't there? That's sort of halfway, mm. sort of half materialised inside itself. And then there's doors halfway up the wall. There's gunk dripping from it, which reminds me of the Liberator breaking up in Blake 7, so I love that. I'm sure that's a little throwback to that. So I'm loving all that stuff, um, but those are the only two things got left on my notes, I think. Yeah, okay, I could probably cool. could talk about this episode for a long, long time, to be honest, so we should probably put a pin in it. Yeah, well, I was going to say, um, when Series 13 was wrapped in uh, uh, in, a, in a, well, five weeks' time, um, mm. we're going to do a roundtable with our writers as well, so we'd have an opportunity to, yeah. to dig into the little bits that we haven't got time to talk about, but... Okay. I can't wait for that, yeah. Scores on the doors. Whose turn is it to go first? I think it's you, bud. I think it is me. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. a good, strong opener. I'm not going any more than that because it is a setup. The whole episode is about setting stuff up. Um, we don't know where we're going with it, but uh, as an episode, it just kept me really engaged and mm. it's got me really thinking, which I like. It's got me really trying to solve the mysteries. So it's a it's a great opener in my opinion. Eight out of ten. Cool, cool. Okay, I'm going to go with an eight point five. Oh, a sneaky point five. A sneaky one, yeah. Uh, I thought it was some of the best Who that we've seen, dude, for the past couple of years. If I'm honest, uh, it's it, I can't really bash it too much. Um, the the point five, I guess, taking it away from a perfect ten, uh, is just because there's a few little niggles I've got, and I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that Chibbers is going to deliver. I'm worried about that. On the epicness yeah. of it. I mean, so far, don't get me wrong, it is looking good. Um, so, so you do me yeah. a favour, slam a 0.5 on mine. <laughs> I, uh, I agree with you. Yeah. It, it, it is It is an 8.5. I, I can't enjoy something this much. and I can't go to a 9, but let's put a 0.5 on it. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. It's got that. It's, it's definitely a strong episode. It's yeah, really good watch. And it's one that I can see myself re-watching quite happily as well, which I can't say the same for the previous two series so that's something definitely mate i yes. agree right we had uh, we had quite a few audio reviews in this week we had eight all together so thank you very oh. much guys so let's plow through these then so first up seb lane hello gary and adam so this week we are obviously reviewing the halloween apocalypse it was definitely um a ride wasn't it well i wasn't going in with very high expectations i'm not the biggest fan of the judy era uh, so far um but, but i thought it was enjoyable however i do think they um, definitely added too many plot points in this episode. There are about seven or eight, and definitely way too much for one episode. Um, I was struggling to get my head around it, and it's all a little, a little bit chaotic. Hopefully, it's all resolved um, in the next few chapters, which will hopefully make sense of this one a little bit more. Um, but Carvanista was good. Um, I could see a spin-off with him actually. He was quite cool. John Bishop was excellent. Uh, Yaz was pretty good in this as well, um, now that Graham and Ryan have gone, and the Doctor was still a little bit weird and cringy in some places, but hey-ho. So yeah, I'll give it a 5 out of 10. It wasn't that great, but it was okay. Oh, Seb. <laughs> 5, Seb. Oh, you meanie. <laughs> yeah, me, yeah. Uh, 5 from Seb. Okay, yeah, and Carvinista getting his own spin-off. That'd be, um, that'd be pretty good, actually, because he was good. Yeah, thank you very much, Seb. A 5. Right, okay, we've got a newbie. This is Isaac Sigma. Hello, Gary and Adam. 
Oz Sigmar here. What did I think of the Halloween Apocalypse? Well, I thought it was a really good episode. Definitely up there with 42 in terms of Chibnall's best episode. The big elephant in the room, obviously, is the flux. The end of the universe approaching. I thought the the CGI for that was really good, uh, especially of the planets exploding and things. I thought it looked really, really good. I have a 4K telly, so I watched it on there, and it looked absolutely amazing. I'm glad they're doing this whole series in 4K. Um, the Dan, John Bishop's character, was really, really good, and I really liked that. I also liked that they harked back to the Division and sort of tied it up with... The, the timeless children and everything, and why they're going to see the Carvan Chingy Boom, whatever it's called. Um, I also liked Prisoner Swarm. I think that's really good, and all those sort of moments are really good. And speaking of which, Jodie and Mandip were really good. I didn't really like their arguing. I th- it kind of annoyed me that they were arguing so much, and you're hiding something. It really annoyed me. Although, I suppose it does hop back to Series 8 where, you know, they were just lying to each other, the Doctor and Clara, which, you know, it's it's kind of nice to hop back to that. But anyway, that's the end of my review. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of the episode. Thank you very much, Isaac. Thank you, Isaac. And yes, you've picked up on the arguing thing too. Yeah, it's all right to have a little bit of that, but we don't want constant bickering. So I, I agree with you. I, I just hope they tone that down. Yes, agreed. Yeah, mm. defo. Thank you very much, Isaac. Uh, moving on, this is another newbie. Uh, this is Brian Chapman, who's actually um, uh, very active on our Discord server. So uh, let's see what Brian thinks. Hello, everyone. This is Brian Chapman from a two-stop lot town with a review of the Halloween Apocalypse, the first chapter of Series 13. The Doctor meets an old foe in Swarm, yet has no memory of their previous engagement. With so much going on, what with new companions, new species, new characters, old enemies, and a new threat to the universe's very existence, I find it hard to fault even a Time Lord for not remembering. During the first part of the episode, the rush of characters, scenes, and setups came very close to being too much to take in. But as this opening chapter started to focus on the Doctor, Yaz, Dan, Carbonist, and Lupari versus Swarm and the Flux, a scary, action-filled, and funny story started to unfold, leaving me looking forward to next Sunday. I give it eight dust bunnies and Dan's kitchen cupboard out of ten. Bye, y'all. <laughs> Excellent. An eight from Brian. Yes. Good Not score. A bad score at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was funny when Dan was yelling at Carvinista. Yeah, I'm not your human. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll see me kitchen a minute. Yeah, that's all good stuff. Thank you very much, Brian. An eight out of ten. Uh, moving on, this is Mr. Neil Campbell. What about you, fellas? So diving straight in, there's a lot to digest in this story. Um, there was a lot going on. I think it's one of them ones, if you didn't have your finger on the pulse, you'd be quickly left behind. A new companion, new villains, new monsters. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. Um, the new villain, he and she look intimidating, I have to say. They're clearly going to revisit the time as child arc with this whole division and all that's been mentioned so far. So we'll see what happens there. I like the introduction of Dan. John Bishop put in a good performance. And I like the references to the past, you know, with regards to Nitro 9 and whatnot. Um, the introduction of Vinder as well. We'll see what he gets up to. Um, and there were some pretty cool visuals as well in space. Uh, the episode was pretty fast. Like I said, there's a lot going on. I enjoyed it, I have to say. I did enjoy it. Um, I'm going to give it a solid 7 out of 10. Now, I've been to Liverpool plenty of times because I'm a massive Arsenal fan and I've been to Anfield 
quite a few times to see Arsenal play Liverpool and Anfield is an iconic stadium. So I have to say, I thought the shot of the TARDIS materialising outside Anfield was was pretty cool. So yeah, fair play. Um, but yeah, 7 out of 10. Cheers. 7. 7. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice score, Neil. Yeah, and it was, um, yeah, a lot of things had happened quite quickly um, uh, throughout the first part, which is good. And obviously, yeah, we mentioned the whole Anfield thing and how cool that looked. Uh, a typical night shot landing outside Anfield. That could have looked really bland, mm. um, but it may look very cool. So, yeah, I agree with you on that one, Neil. Yeah, very cool. Seven, solid seven. Uh, moving on, Lewis Palmer. Hello to the Boogie Box podcast. Flux has begun and chapter one, the Halloween apocalypse. I had a really fun time with this. I'm not going to lie. Um, it is flawed and crammed and does have the sort of chibnall problems of... Uh, sort of awkward dialogue and unnatural exposition but um, I just thought it was if you're gonna do if you're gonna chuck everything at the wall um, you might as well do it violently (laughs) and that's what this did and yeah so many questions Um, I I just feel really excited about Doctor Who again and just like where's this gonna go really fun Um, the monsters were cool it's a real who's who of monsters perfect Halloween really Um, and the stakes absolutely massive really insanely massive and i cannot wait to see where it all goes um yeah sign me up i'm on board for flux and uh yeah it's just really nice to be really positive about doctor who yeah really good see you next time guys lewis likes this one yes i think a lot of people are feeling on this mate it has rejuvenated a a lot of excitement in fans like myself and lewis where it was seriously lacking yeah yeah no i agree yeah you're absolutely right lewis it's um yeah, it does get you back into it, especially for people like us that have kind of uh, certainly not drifted away, but just not really been engaged very much with the, the past couple of series. So, yeah, mm. I agree with you, there, dude. Uh, thank you very much. Right, moving on, Mr. Joe Turner. So, episode one of Doctor Who Flux has just aired, and I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I thought the cold open was a really cool way to start the episode. John Bishop was fantastic as Dan, and the humour hit most of the time. Yaz and the Doctor were great together. I kind of wanted to see more with just the two of them. Yaz herself was absolutely outstanding in this episode. I think this might be her best story yet. She seems to have really grown as a character. However, I do feel like at times it was the Yaz show. She was was giving me slight Clara vibes. However, in saying that, I love how she's questioning the Doctor about what she's investigating behind her back, and as a result, straining the relationship. Jodie was good in this story too. I felt as the story went on, her performance got stronger and stronger and stronger as the stakes got higher. She gets more serious and she suits serious. However, the Carvanista's design I'm not overly struck on. I think the body armour is cool as well as the weapon, but the mask for me looks a little bit cheap and rushed. Visually, the episode was stunning. It was good to see Jacob Anderson as Vinda. And the episode ending with a big apocalypse kind of thing with the flux felt high stakes and actually real because Doctor Who usually does this thing where it goes, oh, it's the end of the universe. But this time it was actually impactful and huge in scale. The bit when the flux was seeping through the universe to try and planet off the planet was breathtaking. We even got to see some inhabitants of one planet trying to escape. However, the resolution was slightly rushed. Seeing the Centaurans again was great. And the swarm was sinister and wonderfully played. I want to know more about them as I feel it ties in with the Doctor's previous lives and the Timeless Child. The way they kept using a psychic connection too between the swarm and the Doctor was an effective way to tell the story. And I loved how at the end they cut between all the characters we had seen in the episode, even the guys from Victoria and Liverpool. And I love the way they're setting up all these different storylines. So much to say with so little time. I'm going to give this episode an 8 out of 10. It sets up the series really well. However, for me, the dialogue was a little bit clunky. There was a lot going on. But for me, it's Jodie's best season opener. Well done, Chibnall. Few. Eight. Few, yeah. You could tell Joe was 
against the stop clock there thinking, I've got to get this in under two minutes. I've got to do it. <laughs> yeah, that was a speed run through all of your There is your, a lot to say. Your thoughts, yeah. Uh, yeah, as Adam said, there's a lot to go through, so we can't blame you for that. But yeah, good score. Eight. Uh, so you made some great points as well, Joe. Yeah. Uh, awkward dialogue? We a little bit. Nothing too bad. Mm. Yeah, nothing mm. too bad. Uh, we're not talking George Lucas, Attack of the Clones, awkward. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> this is another newbie, Sean Picard. Hi, my name's Sean. I just wanted to give my view of the overall episode of the Halloween Apocalypse Doctor Who Flux. I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was really well orchestrated. Sorry if I've said that wrong or pronounced that wrong. I really liked it. I thought it was really well done. I loved the Weeping Angels return as well as the Santarans. And I'm glad that we're getting more connections to the division. I really hope that this might set up possibly Omega's return, but overall I think it's a really good episode and it deserves a lot of respect. My um my overall rating of this episode out of ten is nine out of ten. Thank you. Wow, nine. A nine out of ten, strong score. And yes, now now you and Gary have put Omega in my head. I'm coming around to thinking you know that could be it could be it could be you never know mm. with the chibinator yeah but thank you very much sean a nice review and a good score as well and lastly this is mr toby coleman well doc two is back and it's back with a bang doc two had the halloween apocalypse i've really enjoyed this episode but it also left me really confused there's just so much going on What's a bit with Liverpool in 1820 have to do with the stuff that's happening in current day Liverpool? I also got really confused with the two ladies. There was Claire and the girl, well, I can't remember her name. I got them to be mixed up several times. So I thought that the Weepy Angel scene, that was good. But the but the girl who got that back to my Weepy Angel, I thought she was then dragged into a house, but the fact that's a different woman. Also, I will say that the that as much as they there's some brilliant CGI in the episode. Um, the budget clearly didn't go to the dog-like creature. Overall, I, well, I won't give this, this score, a score yet. I'll give the series a score. I'd say it was a good episode that was very much crossed between Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy. Bye. Hmm. Budget on the, the poor old dog-like creature. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. It's crossed between Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. Yeah, actually, I can see that. I can see a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Toby, and to all of our audio reviewers for sending in your your clips of some really strong scores there. Apart from who was it? Uh, somebody had a five. Not too uh, keen. A, um, was it Lewis? Seb, wasn't it? Or Seb? Oh, Seb. Yeah. No, Lewis loved it. Lewis loved it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But thank you very much. Anyway, over on the socials, I'm going to rattle through these really quickly. Uh, over on Twitter, Tin and Sonic said fast pace with lots of setup. I think it came. I think I came out of it satisfied, but equally haven't got a clue what's going on. Uh, but that's me needing to adjust to the six-part story and not expecting a Monster of the Week format. So if it's as fast-paced throughout, it should be fun. Uh, seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Dan Johnson says, such a visually beautiful, explosive start. I fear that they are trying too much, though. Moving from setup to setup, I suppose we will just have to see how it pans out. Chippy T says, Yaz, learned a lot technically, recognises that the Doctor lies or is not transparent, is brave, likes a challenge, loves the Doctor, uh, loved the Doctor, uh, but to me, not the way some people are saying, ready for her own adventures out there. Great episode, 8.5. 
Cool. Uh, our writer, Jordan, says, I enjoyed it. Certainly the strongest opening for a Chibnall series, but there was little uh, too much going on. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the series will progress and explain what was going on. Jodie and Mandip were great, and John Bishop was quite good too. Cheers, Jordan. Uh, Titan Sci-Fi Tom says, A good introduction to many, many stories. Can't wait for it all to come together. A nine point, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, nine out of ten love Carvinista. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Courier of Who says, uh, I would say the best opening to a series ever. Most certainly top three, along with the 11th hour and Day of the Moon for me. Strong 8.5. Very excited. Cool. Uh, it's hardest net. Will Sanger says, I, I'm away most of the week. I won't have time to send an audio clip, but I will say it was okay. Uh, just kind of existed, really. Dynamics and dialogue, uh, dialogue was better, but was very overcluttered. And all the various plot elements had no relevance to each other at this point. So I'll wait until all six episodes have concluded before I put a rating on it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Doctor Who Home says, uh, a return to the Doctor Who I love. Um, I mm-hmm. felt like it let go of any of the baggage we carried from previous stories and focused on being Doctor Who again. Dan was immediately likeable. The swarm seems uh, intimidating and there was lots of nice nuggets of setup. Uh, possibly too much, though, in brackets. Uh, 7.5. 7.5, okay. Jessica uh, at Awesome Jess says, It was a brilliant episode. Loved all the fast-paced action. Really liked the addition of Dan. Can't wait to learn more about his past. I give it 8 Lupari out of 10. <laughs> and lastly, Matt Holder, I found the new episode to be very dark in tone and parts were pretty shocking considering the early time slot. I felt the CGI in the gravity bar scene was pretty shocking. Overall, I'd give the episode 8 out of 10 and I'm intrigued to see where the story arc takes us. Mm, I wish it was on a bit later. I must admit, 7 o'clock really would be good, but yeah. Hey. Uh, I'm not sure about this Sunday, but um, we know that episode 3, the week after, is on at half 6, so we assume that it's going to be around 25 I think, Last yeah, off. 6.10 or something weird this week, yeah. In the UK, anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then quickly over on Facebook, these are quite long, so I'm just going to give you the scores. Uh, Andrew Stewart gave it an 8.5. Mark um, Mark Hugel gave it a 5 out of 10. Charlie Turner um, uh, didn't give it a score. Uh, and our writer, Harry, just said best episode of Who in a Long Time, gave mm. it an 8 out of 10 as well. So all around, dude, some really strong scores to kick off Series 13 absolutely and although we don't always have time to read out the full comments and stuff we do read them so we do appreciate you like commenting on the facebook and twitter it's always good to get you your guys opinions indeed yeah absolutely and it right. seems pretty positive on this one yeah it's a good start it's a good start definitely it is a good start mate yes yeah uh, no surprise what we're doing next week though dude what we got yeah god i'm really excited for this like the again the cti the battle looks immense doesn't it gosh uh so war of the sontarans next week I think this is going to be fun. I've got a good feeling. Oh, no. I've got my hopes up. <laughs> oh, you've up. said it now. No, I have. I've got a good feeling because I really <laughs> liked that scene with the Sontarans and the trailer looks fun and it looks epic. Yeah, so War of the Sontarans. Oh, yes. Yes. Bring it on. Yeah, I'm ready for it. And on that note, let's wrap there, dude, then for 3.30. All righty. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to episode 330 as we've spoken through a little bit of news and crashed through our review of the first episode of series 13, uh, the Halloween apocalypse. As Adam said, we are continuing, uh, obviously, as we go through series 13. Next week, episode two is War of the Centaurans, which sounds exciting, intriguing at the same time. So we'll see uh, how that plays out and our review will be next week as usual uh, for that one. 
Uh, in the meantime, as always, remember to follow our show on whatever podcast app you listen to your podcast on. Uh, just do a search for us. Do a search for The Big Blue Box. Uh, we're on all of the big ones, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Amazon Music, all that stuff are on there. Or head over to the website, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can listen to the episodes there as well. Plus, you can link off to the socials uh, and give us a like and a follow there so we can chat Doctor Who with you throughout the week. And we have a free Discord server. So sign up to that and come and chat Doctor Who with other Who fans. And as always, remember to check out Adam's channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, the Geek's Handbag. That's right. Yes, go and have a look at all my Doctor Who vids and there's some new ones coming up. So, yeah, go and check it out. Also on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Love all that stuff. Yes, under the same name, the Geek's Handbag. Go and annoy Adam on Twitter and Instagram and, uh, <laughs> and chat Doctor Who. It's all good. So, until next week, bud, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... And... Andy. Andy.